The football pod on OTB Sports. I think they'll have too much. I didn't hear a word you said in the last 45 seconds. What? Breaking news here on the football pod. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, very good morning to you. Welcome along this Tuesday morning. Yeah, hopefully you're all back at work. If you remembered to uh, get up instead of after the four-day holiday, just lying in bed, uh, a bit grossed out by all the chocolate you ate. And uh, it feels a little bit like um, Kim Jong-il in Team America Worlds. Please, I'm a bit lonely here, Owen. You're not, you're not with us this morning. Uh, no, I'm not. How, how was the chocolate eating? Too much. Bit gross. I'm, I, Paul, I, Paul Kostruitt. I'm ashamed of myself and everybody else that was involved, which was just me. <laughs> what, what, was, what was your go-to thing on Sunday that made well, you feel all this guilt? Well, uh, uh, I guess it was the fact that I didn't get any strike. I had to buy my own. That was the worst part about the oh, thing. Okay. And so therefore you kind of overcompensate by having a little bit of everybody else's, you know? <laughs> which one did you go for for yourself? The uh, chocolate orange twirl. The orange twirl. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty good. It's, ama- it's amazing. It's, that's telepathy right there, because I was literally just about to say that I, I spied one this morning uh, lying around the house, and I was like, that looks good. For breakfast? Well, what's, what's, uh, yeah, for 100%. And what's, what's your review out of 10? Uh, it's pretty good. It, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was pretty good. Yes, it was. Hey, uh, hey well, that's, that's my plan for today, then. It looks amazing. What, el- what else did you have? Um, let me just think. Let me just think. Oh, there was an M M&M and M one. The there was there, there's got a new one, a salted caramel M M&M and M one. Oh, which nice. Is out now. It's, yeah. Like I mean, is is it like stabbing my culture in the back to suggest that a Nestle egg is actually just as good as a Cadbury's egg on a on a Easter Sunday these days? Because I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I was I was a little bit disappointed. I was thinking, you know, is this gonna not live up to to our, to our usual standards of Cadbury? But actually, it turns out that they've managed to nail the egg these days. You're polyamorous when it comes to your uh, egg liking. I will 100% accept anything that comes to me, as long as it is free. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, that's the whole point of having a, a magic bunny that delivers eggs, that they're free, <laughs> right? No one, no one pays for these at any point. So, uh, well, that was a bit of a tangent for us. Um, how are you, Owen? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, after, after, after that weekend, you know, as we, as we just already established, I think uh, once, we, once we get through the sort of... Uh, dirty mire of Easter and managed to get back into some sort of routine I think we'll all be I think we'll all be pretty happy right yeah I think so something blew us off course horribly over the last week or so and uh, you know we're all trying to grapple with the fact that the championship started you're clearly down in Kerry getting debriefed ahead of the championship about what you can and can't say when it comes to the Kerry Mafia that's why you're not here this morning the the football power rankings will come out this week there'll be an emergency one where Kerry are suddenly fourth on the back of Tyrone's stunning second half, 15 minutes bit where they had all their best players in the field and they're clearly just slowly warming up. So they'll be first. The Dubs will have Conor Callaghan back and Mayo will be Mayo and you'll be like, yeah, no, I think I can stand up my rankings with Kerry fourth, right? That's a really good argument that you just made there. Mayo are going to be Mayo. Uh, that, that is, that, that's the, the level of incisiveness that I can provide to dampen expectations here over the next little while. Uh, like I, 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 it, does, it does feel that there, there are column inches still reserved for that National League final, isn't there? That people are still talking about it to a certain extent. And maybe people just want to see this whole thing actually explode into life over the next little while, rather than dealing with the big issue, which is that Toronto are just the best team in the country. Did you see that on Saturday night? Like, I mean, we, we actually haven't included them in our performance rankings here. 
like did you see that like that that was a sort of when people talk about you know the the ladies and gentlemen we are back once again this year moment of 2022 it is not the limerick curlers it is it is tyrone on on saturday night saying screw you to everybody else especially fermana they were insulted by the mere presence of fermana who had the cheek to take an early lead in that first half and said you know what we may not have a whole pile of depth we may not have uh, all these players that uh, you the public are so concerned about this year we're still going to hammer for Manor. We're still going to do this all in one half. And we're going to win this Ulster Championship and do back-to-back for the first time ever. This is a this is an angry version of Tyrone. They've had so many reasons to say we've been written off left, right and centre. Maybe this was actually the real story from the weekend. Well, I mean, who knows? We'll get into that a little bit later on. We'll certainly get into it later on in the week. In the meantime, at 7.34 this morning, if you've got any interest in being involved in the show this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can also leave the, uh, use hashtag OTBAM or leave a comment on our YouTube stream. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. We have our performance rankings. Mark Lawrence is going to join us at 8 o'clock. Sports pages at 20 past 8. Sports news with Colin Milani at 840 the latest on the Hurling Championship at Will at 8.50. Uh, Creedy's going to join us at 10 past nine to look back at the weekend's rugby and look forward to what's going over the next couple of weeks. And then we'll get some analysis from James O'Connor around about half past nine. But at 7.35 this morning, it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is was just lacked that intensity. Ooh, all right, well, this is uh, our stereotypical, traditional, uh, at this point, uh, Gillette Labs performance rankings, where we have three different slots. One is green, one is red, and one is amber. Uh, who have you put in the red this week, Owen? Well, uh, what a surprise if we start with the Premier League. Arsenal and Tottenham have let themselves down in dramatic fashion. They've uh, taken the ball and they've run with it for a little while and then they've tripped up and they've fallen flat on their face and it feels like both of their seasons are in serious jeopardy to varying degrees. I think it's fair to say that Arsenal's season is in more jeopardy than Tottenham's season. Tottenham have been less bad for the last three weeks post-international break than Arsenal have been. But Tottenham still got beaten at the weekend. Tottenham uh, got beaten by a good Brighton side, let's not forget. But their defeat has led to questions about every element of their team, not least Harry Kane. Questioned by Gabby Bonlahor, of all people, saying that the way he was playing was as if he was jet-lagged. And you know what? Maybe he was jet-lagged. Maybe he hung around those azaleas a couple of days too long and uh, and stayed in Georgia eating peaches or whatever you do over there and just, just was not up for it. Was not up for Brighton and Hove Albion last weekend. And he decided, you know what, we are Tottenham. We are Tottenham. We need to to, to finish the season in an underwhelming fashion. Or maybe Matt Doherty's injury is a thing that's blown him off course. Maybe our irony has actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Matt Doherty actually is very, very, very important to how Antonio Conte wants to play. And his absence blew him off course a little bit. Or maybe they're just Tottenham and they will let you down at various points. I should reiterate here that Arsenal have let themselves down in greater fashion than Tottenham have over the last couple of weeks. But the end result here might well be that Manchester United sniff around and end up finishing top four. The team we have absolutely ripped for months and months and months. The the punchline of the Premier League this season, the, the team that consistently get kicked punched and spat on by everybody because they're so bad and a team that are broken and a club that is a a walking cracked badge is going to finish fourth because Arsenal are Arsenal and Tottenham are Tottenham and I don't even know what to say anymore about about Arsenal in that duopoly of grimness 
but it is very, very, very predictable, even though a lot of us didn't predict it because we got carried away once again because we're sports fans and we are idiots. You make it sound like we've been treating Manchester United the way you guys used to treat each other during PE classes in the SEM, apparently. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a, that is, now that is a tangent. Yeah, the PE class in the same. Well, not me, really. I mean, uh, you would have heard that piece between David Clifford and Darren Moynihan last year, playing indoor soccer in, in their socks. That is lethal. That is that that is an ice rink. Um, well, actually, no, we ju- we would just go out with our shoes on and kick each other's shins, which I guess is probably worse than uh, playing indoor soccer in your socks. But uh, either way, not for the faint-hearted. School shoes, no runners allowed? Oh, yeah. No, no, it was like, I mean, it, it depends what the day was. I, I don't know why so many people came so ill-prepared for PE, actually, in hindsight. It was a timetable slot every single week, and you could bring a gear bag. I don't know uh, why people, like those lads were carry minors. I mean, at least I had some excuse by not being very good at, at uh, football. But uh, those lads should, should have had gear available. Um, I guess and, uh, and preparing for stuff is uncool when you're like a 17-year-old. That, that is actually a very good point. And, uh, oh, look yeah, at him. Yeah. He got, he's prepared for this thing, which we have to do every week. <laughs> uh, what he a loser. Like, seriously. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, this guy's got actual ambition in life. He yeah. packed the school bag this morning. You can't have that. No, you're definitely not allowed that. Sorry. I mean, this is just a way of me uh, um, segueing into this because I haven't spoken to you since. That, that was, it, it did sound like those P- PE classes were like skin and teeth and hair and everything you just <laughs> described, Manchester United. Yeah, there were a little bit. There was definitely a few kind of like in-class rivalries that would get exacted on the the hardwood of uh, of that uh, of that basketball court, which became a, a, an inner soccer class. And and yeah, it, it seems that, that, that those guys also had it. It seems to have been a, a constant thing that was passed down from from year to year. Of course, some people were smart enough to just you know avoid it and play left back. Um, and that would have been the smart thing to do. And then other people just ended up having their shins broken. That was you. Or, uh, you were the left back, were you? No, I, I wouldn't say so. I, I think our class was it was particularly un, um, untalented. You were the nice so guys. Ex- so you all kind uh, of looked out for each other. No, oh God, no, not nice guys at all. Just un, just lacking in talent, sporting-wise, completely. Therefore, my crapness was less crap relative to my teammates slash classmates. Okay, okay. So I, I, was, I was actually okay. Okay. Um, I've been giving you grief for your team of Werner Take and you weren't here to bask in their glory of eventually it coming uh, through but in fairness to you uh, for every bad team of Werner Take you've been all over this Arsenal story like completely <laughs> reluctant at any point to accept that perhaps they were coming good finally under Mikel Arteta you were like no it's not going to happen no stop this I refuse to I refuse to be hopeful even though we've got one of the best collections of young players in world football at the moment no what's going to happen here is at some point, they will crash, and uh, they have been crashing fast and subsequently slowly ever since. It was like I, I didn't see any of the game because there were other bigger, more important games. It seemed it seemed like you could ignore the slate of, of kickoffs on Saturday in the Premier League quite happily with all of the rest of the, the sport that was going on in the world, but you couldn't. Turned out because no. uh, it was unbelievably, unnecessarily dramatic, particularly on the part of your beloved Arsenal. What the hell's going on? Ah, uh, like it's it's amazing. It it just goes. It's a fantastic case study of how important depth is, and in in a way, like I don't want to make excuses for it, but you can kind of see why they would have entered the season with a pretty tight squad. They'd missed out on both of the crap European competitions last season, which was like you know party time, can focus on Premier League only this season, and you don't need to worry about the Conference League. But 
when you enter into those in, in terms, you kind of got to realize that you're not going to be able to play our squad players. And I guess Arteta allowed the squad to thin out a little bit, didn't make the required signings. But he also should have seen that there was a proper top four battle coming after Christmas. He, he would have seen that there were games postponed before Christmas. He would have seen that fixtures were going to start piling up to an extent after Christmas. And the, the thing I would really be unhappy about if, if I was a hardcore Arsenal fan was the fact that uh, January was a bit of a wasteland transfers wise. That that's the moment he should have said, This thing is in grasp. Do what Tottenham did. Tottenham saw that something was 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 possibly up for grabs, or maybe they were just backed into a corner by a new manager who actually had balls to say, Listen, we need we need signings here in this January transfer window and they went out and they got them. And even after that, Conte was like, This wasn't enough. We didn't spend enough. We, our squad possibly isn't even strong enough. Arsenal did Nothing in that January transfer window when they should have known. Arteta should have been the guy who knew that if Kieran Tierney gets injured, that guy who plays left back in in replacement for him, Tavares, who we got a good look at earlier this season, isn't good enough because Arteta thinks that a couple of games ago he played Jack at left back. I know Tavares came back in at left back at the weekend and did all right, but uh, he would have looked at the midfield. He would have seen that if Party and Jacko go down, or if one of those guys go down, or if one of them lose form, more, more importantly, potentially, then there's not going to be enough backup. It, it was as if, you know what, we've got uh, four good attackers and we've got one good attacker on the bench. That is all that matters when it comes to depth. But actually, there's a hell of a lot more to it when it comes to that. Players come in and out of form. And unfortunately, one of those players who's gone out of form massively was, was Lacazette as well. And they don't have a number nine. You can't score goals. You're screwed. And they just haven't scored enough goals this season. A quick look at the table will tell you that. 45 goals this season. United have scored 52. Spurs have, sc- Spurs have scored 56. Who's going to finish fourth? Tottenham. Okay. It's hard. Still back Tottenham. I just think like Manchester United are playing Liverpool tonight. They play Arsenal on Saturday. Not that Arsenal are uh, an overly tough fixture anymore. Um, Tottenham do have to play Liverpool as well, of course. But like I, I think that they just have to, uh, even in the aftermath of being beaten at the weekend, I think that was a blip given the, the form that we've seen from Kane and Son recently in particular. Uh, they've been amazing. They're, they're the, the, the best combo attacking-wise, uh, if you compare them to Arsenal or, or Manchester United. And I would say there's a bit of a distance actually between them, despite the fact that Ronaldo um, statistically actually doesn't look as bad as some people are saying this this season. Yeah, the uh, couple of hat-tricks towards the end of the season will certainly bail out your stats and um, maybe make people reconsider piling on you the way they had been for a while. Let's move on, because uh, the core carders in the red, is this fairly obvious? Was this a, a difficult decision for you to make? Not really. Like I think it was just a question of our cork in the red and our limerick in the green, and it's both of those things are true. Like it's it's interesting. There's, this is not the most important part from Sunday, but it is intriguing looking at the league scoreline compared to the early championship scoreline. And it is early championship conditions weren't proper summer just yet, although they looked decent in Cork. Like it was two nineteen to one thirteen in the league in favour of Cork, and then it's an eleven point defeat in the championship so even this idea of laying down markers in the league just clearly didn't exist because it seems we're back to square one and square one being the aftermath of last year's All-Ireland final where Cork's manhood has been questioned that the manner of their defence the level of work we're at from their forwards the short passing around the defence has come under serious scrutiny they do have a week off to get it right but it hasn't stopped 
some of the the bashing from within the county, which is deserved to 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 a great extent, you'd have to say. Like just w- one of the articles that, that I saw this morning was Tony Considine writing in, in yesterday's Echo, and he was wondering if they'd bring something different to this championship. And he says, you know what, being in Cork early on Sunday, most of them are showing no confidence whatsoever in this Cork team or its management. He says defending their goal is very poor, no real cutthroat defending, playing as individuals, no savaging the man with the ball coming through, uh, proper defending, doing the basics, all absence. He says Kieran Kixon needs to be more ruthless. He's a sound man, but he has to get a bit more ruthless. Uh, and on it goes. You can read it online. And when you've got people like Constantine throwing uh, the boot in this early in the championship, you know that this season's either going to be one of those we took, we proved you all wrong and they come back in flying fashion or it's going to be a bit of a nightmare. It, it, the latter, you'd have to say, is more likely. I'm not saying the other eventuality isn't going to happen just by dint of the fact that they're in Munster and yeah. Waterford also look good. Okay, well, the other thing is that... Um, I, I, so I can't remember now. Somebody in the papers today is making the point that if they're going to win the All-Ireland, it, it might have been Column Keys, that if they're going to win the All-Ireland or compete for it, they're going to have to come up against Limerick potentially two more times already in the championship if they make it through to a, a Munster final which obviously looks unlikely after you've lost your first game but it's not beyond the bounds of possibility uh, and what are they going to do that's different from what they did in last year's all Ireland final and what they did at the weekend it's just very difficult to see anything being recast at this point we'll get into this a bit more with Will and we'll talk a bit more about some of your comments coming through very quickly some of the early comments uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United will tell us where United are really at says Stephen and Yassine says Spurs will finish fourth Manchester United barely scraped a win versus the bottom of the league and they have Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea in their next three games their season is over in the next week I mean uh, do Chelsea care as much anymore about those league games I don't know they obviously have the potential to finish the season disrupting the quadruple drive from Liverpool's perspective and I have a Feeling that they're probably going to be, maybe they'll be playing for uh, positions and starting positions, and that and that will keep motivation high. Uh, what about the Haaland news overnight? Asks MJ Maloney. Imagine how many goals he gets at City under Pep. Dubai money is being well spent again, Ger. And then it's uh, cry laughing emoji, cry laughing emoji times two, just in case you didn't get it. So the Mail were the ones who were uh, reporting an exclusive this morning that terms have been agreed between Haaland and Manchester City. And that Manchester City will now uh, trigger the release clause of whatever it is, 67 million. And he's going to be paid half a million a week, so it's 26 million basic salary. The fact that terms have been agreed doesn't mean it's a done deal because other people can then also agree those terms. It just means that uh, it looks more likely than not that Haaland will move in the summer. Um, And it certainly means that City are right there, ready to go with it. Are they the only team in the world who will match those terms? I don't know. Like... And will this significantly alter things if Haaland joins? Like, how many more goals can the team score than they're scoring at the moment? Mm. And also as well, how does it impact how Manchester City actually play? Like, I think maybe back in August, September, the excitement around Haaland would have been a 10 out of 10. Whereas now, not that people wouldn't be excited about Haaland at all. It, it just, there, there is that slight caveat about how Manchester United or Manchester City have been playing recently, that it's been effective without having that out-and-out number nine they're going to win the Premier League, they're going to win the Champions League, and then all of a sudden they've got an out-and-out nine coming into the team. It does impact. It makes things more interesting for them, but I'm not sure it has the massive leap forward potential about it that maybe some might think. Of course, he would be arguably the best player in the team, but I, I do think that the net gain from having him in there wouldn't be overly substantial. It would just make them stronger favourites for the Premier League next Well, season. yeah, they'll, they'll win every game against mediocre mid-table opposition yeah. by an extra... 
half a goal over the course of the season on average. So let's move on. We'll, we'll talk about that more with Mark Lawrence in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, what is in your amber? Well, Kyrie Irving is in the amber. And to be honest with you, if I had it my way, he would well, actually pick these. Uh, he would be in the green. But, uh, you know, if we can leave a, <laughs> if we can leave aside, you know, a whole pile of things that, that, that he's said, like he, he's got to be as a player, just as a player, one of the most watchable entities in world sport, especially when it gets to playoff time. The NBA playoff started last week. Uh, Kyrie, playoff Kyrie, for example, gave us moments like the, the 2016 comeback for Cavs against Golden State. And of course, LeBron gets the headlines around that for the block laid on in that game seven. But it's about that deep three-pointer from Kyrie Irving in that game, that, that clutch three-pointer. And he's done that so many uh, times in his career. That made that series so magical, that game seven so magical. So if you're looking for an NBA bandwagon to hop on, this series between uh, the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets is the one to hop on. It has been absolutely electric so far. Game one was on Sunday night, and it felt like game seven of an Eastern Finals. Remember, this is just round one. Crowd in Boston Garden was absolutely raucous. Like most of their beer-filled rage was was targeted at one person, and that was Irving because he left Boston in pretty acrimonious circumstances in 2019. And I'm not sure if you've been to Boston Garden before Jared, but it's even if it's somebody who's really really nice they get absolutely destroyed if they're their best player or their most recognizable player like i was there in 2018 when uh yanis and milwaukee were there and yanis is one of the most likable world superstars and he got absolutely destroyed by the, the the boston crowd they just hate anybody that is good that is against their team in that uh venue like there's a bit of a, a grim element to that as well like irving had mentioned in the past that there's a subtle racism that exists for players in boston obviously anything that you watch on the lakers uh celtic stuff from the the, the past would definitely touch on that theme baseball players have mentioned that they feel that exists at fenway as well and as an aside on that, there was a video doing the rounds yesterday from Fenway Park, where there was an F Kyrie chant doing the rounds at a baseball game. So the whole city of Boston right now are united in their hatred of Kyrie Irving. And this goes back to the playoffs last year. He had a bottle thrown at him at the Garden after stomping on the Celtics logo in, in, in the, the middle of the course. Uh, Brooklyn ended up winning that series 4-1 last year. There was a bit of a gulf between them. But this season, things are different. The seeds are exactly flipped. There is two versus seven, but Boston are the two seed this year, and they managed to get uh, the win in game one with a buzzer beater from uh, from Jason Tatum. The, the main thing around this, though, is, is not so much the buzzer beater, even though that was absolutely extraordinary. The main thing was Kyrie versus the fans. So he's getting booed all the time. At one of the moments, and you can see all this in social media, he's standing on the sideline and he puts his hands behind his head and flips a double bird at the crowd and then proceeds to make fake crying motions uh, to, to, to the crowd as well. There's another moment where he sings the tree, shows the middle finger to the crowd directly after sinking it. After the game, then he's walking to the locker room and, and some guy backstage, I'm not sure was he working in the garden or what, is, is filming Kyrie and someone shouts, Kyrie, you suck. And Kyrie's like, suck my dick. Uh, and then he, <laughs> uh, so he's just having none of this. He goes into the post-game press conference and he's like, there's only so much you can take a as a competitor. We're the ones to be expected to be humble uh, and take a humble approach. F that, he said. It's the playoffs. This is what it is. So if somebody's going to call me out in my name, I'm going to look at them straight in the eye and say if they're really about it. Most of the time, they're not. Embrace it. It's the dark side. Embrace it, he said. And I'm totally with him. He played amazing on, on Sunday night. He scored 39 points while on Ramadan. Like the game uh, tipped off at 3 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday. So he's been brilliant while on Ramadan, by the way. That's one of the weird Kyrie Irving statistics. But he was a little bit statuesque as Tatum burst past him to make that layup. And it was a layup. 
at the buzzer to win the night for, for, for Boston in game one. This is going to be an unbelievable series, everyone. Just watch this. Game two is on Wednesday night, uh, obviously in Boston as well. And this is just such a great beef. Is this a, they're all best of seven now? Did they fix that or is it still best of five for the for early part? Yeah, all best of seven for uh-huh. round one these days, uh-huh. which isn't necessarily a good thing, but it's a great one for this, for this series. Okay. Uh, what's in green? Green. Okay. Two-legged rugby. Um, I think this has been a success, hasn't it? Like, and even if you can point towards some of the series where it wasn't a success, I actually don't care. I actually think that even when it comes to the Champions League, we just totally forget the ties that are over after game one. I, I think that we just remember some of these unbelievably absorbing ties that go the distance. And that's the adjective I would use to describe them is absorbing because you just get brought deeper and deeper into the storyline of these 160 minutes like Exeter and Munster definitely had it to lose against Ulster had it to an even higher degree obviously the Harlequins situation was 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 on a level above that again and it just feels like the stakes are so much higher after more rugby is played it's like our brains get tricked into believing that this is more important because the thing has been happening for a longer period of time it's like if there's 10 minutes of additional time played at the end of a football match if you score a 109th minute winner uh, or a 99th minute winner as opposed to an 89th minute winner it all just feels that just more dramatic it's not true but it just feels like that's the case and that really felt like the way it was for for these two-legged affairs it's interesting it'll be interesting to see what they do with this now because i'm not sure what you said the other day that maybe the semi-finals will be the time to do this obviously if you do it in the quarterfinals you have a, a greater chance for or in the last 16, I should say, you have a greater chance for th- th- these mad events to take place because you just have more games. Uh, and, and maybe keeping this the way it is next season would be the way to go because I did not see this thing working out at all before it happened. Yeah, I think it was to do with the fact that the competition was so horribly shortened and it's a bit of a mishmash at the moment, post-COVID, exactly how the tournament is going to work. And then the tournament, I think, will expand again when some of the South African teams come into it. So uh, it's up for grabs as a tournament. And certainly at some point, I think as a final, it would be a good idea to have home and away in a final. That might be a, a great thing to do. I know that they might want to make a big deal about having a host city and turning it into a, a carnival of European rugby. But actually, if you have the opportunity to have two amazing games with the best two teams in Europe at the end of the season, like who doesn't want that? As you say, the, the tension ratchets up significantly as the games go on so um, my favourite part of the whole weekend and I, I couldn't see uh, the uh, tweet that Stephen Jones had sent up because he's blocked me a couple of years ago but um, uh, one of the Montpellier uh, backroom team uh, quote tweeting Stephen Jones saying oh I guess we were actually pretty interested in uh, winning this game <laughs> Jones had been trolling him uh, complaining about how Montpellier were throwing their hat at it by pulling out their second team which uh, turned out was good enough to beat Harlequins over two legs. Yeah. What, what, did, what did Jones block you for? Oh, I can't remember. Actually, you know, disagreeing with him, I think, or um, maybe laughing at some of the nonsense that he came out with. <laughs> that's, a, that's a disgrace if you disagreed with somebody, though. You, you deserve to be blocked for that. Might have been something I'd said about the Welsh team. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, what else is in green? We're going to finish up at Liverpool here because they were sensational for at least, you know, half of football on Saturday. But I think that maybe there was a sense of the game being up with regards to the Manchester City fight back in the second half a little bit. Certainly from the way Liverpool would have looked at it, they were just so, so good in that first half. And like I think that we've, we've spoken a lot about how Jurgen Klopp kind of picks his team over this closing period. And, and I wonder if he's actually edging towards 
his best team at this point. Certainly when you look at that midfield, like I saw this tweet Jack Cosby from This Is Anfield said that the Fabinho, Thiago, Keita midfield has only started twice. Benfica away and City on Saturday. Uh, two devastating performances and two not chaotic performances, but it, it definitely feels that there is an element of that about that midfield, that it's attack, attack, attack. And certainly when they're on the ball, they can do some, some brilliant stuff. Obviously, Fabinho holds the four outstandingly well, but you still love him. You still love to watch him when he's on the ball as well. And Thiago and Kate, obviously, when, when they're on the ball, just absolutely exceptional. And I wonder, is that how he's going to go over the next little while? You'd love to see that midfield, for example, start against Manchester United tonight and see what would happen. Because they put up a 5-0 already this season. They've got to be thinking to themselves, how do we make this 6-7? Yeah, OK, we're going to talk about this with Mark Lawrence in just a moment, so I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, do you think the quadruple is realistic? Yes, absolutely. They're in a final and they're in a semi-final and they're uh, a point behind uh, the league leaders. So uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but it absolutely is realistic. And I, I don't think it's going to happen because I think Liverpool's run in is harder than Manchester City's and I think Manchester City will win the rest of their games. Yeah. So I, I think I think Manchester City will win the, the Premier League. I do think Liverpool will beat Chelsea in the, the FA Cup final and I think Liverpool will certainly be in the Champions League final. And... Liverpool versus Manchester City, who are you picking in that after Saturday's evidence? And I do think Saturday does move the needle in this a little bit. I don't think it does. I think Liverpool beat them. I don't no? think it, no. You're not, you're not because, they, because they've got the best goalkeeper in the world on the bench. He's not, not going to be on the bench for the Champions League final. And yeah, it has an fair. impact. You know, it's literally fair. the difference. Ed- Ederson between, is a huge part. There's no, there's no well, we, we saw We saw exactly the difference is uh, Ederson good enough to, like, calmly get the ball away as it trickles over the line. His replacement, not good enough to do that. And uh, bundled into the net. And you're like, well, you know, I mean, that's what you get. That's what you get for yeah, I, I, in the Billy Big Bollocks. Uh, well, and hopefully, I mean, I wonder, is that the, the door ajar for them to recall their goalkeeper from loan and, and Gavin Bazzuno all of a sudden is playing FA Cup next season? Yeah, I think I'd still prefer one, one season uh, in the Championship playing week in, week out um, to get to the point where he's just as good as Edison. Because uh, like, uh, that, that is an outcome that is on the table for us at the moment. It is 7.59 this morning. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be in with the chance of winning. Let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. The best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page. The comments box is on our story. You can give us red. You can give us uh, amber. You can give us green. Whatever you want. And we'll read out the rest of your entries across the rest of the show today. And we'll uh, be in touch with the winner after the show this morning but that is this week's Gillette Labs Performance Rankings OTBAM's Performance Rankings with Gillette Alright, three minutes past eight this morning here on OTBAM and we're talking football with Mark Lawrence and Mark, good morning to you how are you? Good morning I'm all good thanks chaps I had a slight concern if I'm a Liverpool fan that perhaps tonight is a bit of a trap game for us where we've already hammered Man United this year we're coming off the back of a massive win against our main rivals everybody's talking about four trophies and it's still Man United, and it's still one of those yeah. games where it's like, do we just? I'm not saying they're going to get complacent, but this happens. Strange things happen in football where Man United dig a performance out on muscle memory, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm absolutely totally with you. I'm going to match as well, so I'm, I'm a bit that way. Which is, you know, they really won't need a team talk, Man United, will they? Um, getting done five at home by Liverpool. And the way Liverpool are at the moment as well, and the way Manchester United are in a, a mess, basically. So you would think within the starting eleven squad, whatever you want to call it, there will be a lot of resilience and resistance, and there'll be a little bit like, let's get stuck into this lot and let's see if they can deal with a little bit of um, tackling, shall we say, for want of a better description. 
I mean, they can't they can't come to Anfield and be passive, surely, because if they are, they'll get they'll get rolled over again. And the physicality that Raf Ranić has bemoaned, the lack of from Manchester United's perspective, isn't really there in the team. So, like I can see, you, you try and pick a fight with somebody who's bigger than you, and you hope that they overreact <laughs> somehow. Like it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I understand the Liverpool fans out there and the Man United fans are going to be like, "This is nonsense." Like you know, this could easily be. We've already had somebody text us this morning saying Liverpool should be looking for seven or eight tonight. And no, well, I mean that's just, it's just that's ridiculous, isn't it? And I mean, look, if you ask Jurgen Klopp now, he'd take one nil. One one nil, no injuries, move on, um, and that's the way. That's the way to approach it. The other thing as well is, is you know, obviously a good result at the weekend. Um, although I thought City really played into Liverpool's hands, so it will change the team around again tonight. I would have thought make two or three changes, um, and just you know, business as usual. Basically, I think that's. I can't believe he's giving them long long team talks anymore because they know exactly what they need to do. What changes would you make to the team tonight? I don't think he'll start Cater. I think I think Henderson comes back in. Um, legs, basically, energy, um, driving from midfield, all, all, all those kind of things. Cater had a really good game at the weekend. He's, he's you know, he, he can't, unfortunately, he can't mm-hmm. kind of string four or five really good games together. That's been his problem. And then, of course, he gets injuries and stuff and he seems to be out for quite a long time. So, which is unfortunate for him. But as I say, he was really good on Saturday. But I think Henderson comes back in and he might, he might change one of the front players, possibly. What does Kate need to do then to get ahead of Jordan Henderson? Is, is it just that to, to prove to people that he can go 10, 15 games in the bounce? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know that you know there's a player in there. I think you know. I think Klopp's always said that there's a player in there, and he keeps playing him, thinking that you know he's, he's just going to have this run where suddenly Liverpool realised you know the ability of the player that they signed up all those years ago. But he's he's just one of those who's just been really, really unfortunate. He's never he's never really had a consistent run in in the team, and you know he's got in and then maybe not played particularly well, or then he's got injured. He's he's actually been really, really unlucky. Um, but obviously, you know, he, he gets bypassed probably at the moment because Klopp thinks that he's got other players who are eight, nine out of ten where, you know, Cater might be six one game and, and eight the next week, which at, at that level you can't have. Well, and what about the stylistically then between Cater and Henderson? Is, is there a different sort of game, even if you could trust them yeah. both the same? Like, you know, you've got Everton, for example, again, they'd be expected to win at the weekend and then Champions League then the following midweek. So is there a consistency there to the selection in, in your view or is it a little bit of a horses for courses situation? I I, I think Klopp's preferred three is, is Henderson, Fabinho, obviously, and, and Thiago. Um, I mean... You know, I worship at the feet of Thiago. I just think he's brilliant. It's just as I keep going on to you every time I come on the program, um, and he's he's going through a run where obviously he's getting even fitter. He just sees stuff all the time, and that's why I don't, that's why I don't think Cater will, will will get in. To be honest with you, it's it's probably I think the best midfield is the three that would start tonight. I think, but you never know. A club he might suddenly decide no. Cater played well at the weekend. I'll chuck him in again, but. I doubt it somehow. The Thiago performance seemed to be better this time against City than the first time, which is actually a really good sign. I don't know if you agree, first off, that he was better at the weekend than he was when in the 2-0 draw, but it's the sign of a yeah. player who's actually 
uh, assessing the scenario, learning as the season goes on and um, understanding what you have to do to impose your game. Yeah, he's just just like a fabulous talent and occasionally he has an off game, which doesn't everybody. But he sees stuff that none of the other midfield players see at all. And, you know, he's got radar, he's like, even in the game at at, uh, the Etihad, I mean, was it it his diagonal pass that started off the move that was the first equaliser, I think? You know, hell of a pass and stuff. But he, what he, what he will do, he's not, he's not worried about giving the ball away, which sounds daft. But he isn't because, because you know, he'll, he'll, he'll try basically. If you watch a lot of Premier League football at moment, midfield players, second touch is backwards or sideways. Really seriously, as if you watch it, it's but it's is not with him. It's just everything's forward, and that's you know, he makes them really, really more progressive as a team. With his ability, just to, just to, some of the balls he plays in as well. I'm sure if you get a straw poll with the uh, the forward players about him passing them into feet, they'll all like wow because and he and he really he really drills the ball into them, and it's easier for top players to control them with their touch, etc. And um, I just rave about him as you know, but he's just he's, he's made su- such a difference because he just he just sees things, he just sees opportunities and passes that. Mere mortals don't see at all. Is there any possibility they take him out of the starting lineup tonight to rest him for the other big games coming that he's well, going? I would, I would rather play him tonight than then, if that was the case, than play him against uh, Everton. Because Everton's just going to be a, a dogfight. Um, and unless Liverpool you know, get, get up early and get a couple of goals in, it's, it's going to be an absolute dogfight. And um, they're horrible games to play in, as everybody knows. And I think tonight will be less of a dogfight, to be honest with you, and, and that's why I think he would play him, but maybe leave him out against Everton. I guess that makes sense from a, a physical perspective as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then just the, the last one on the the, um, the defence, right? So Kanade comes into the team and scores every game he plays at the moment, uh, which is pretty good. It's a, a real sign, again, that they're they're managing the introduction of a new player into the team where there's no pressure yeah. and there's no stress and it's like the complete opposite of last season when all the centre-backs seem to be fit all the time which is a bit of a miracle but do you, is he getting to the point where you have to pick him or not yet no not yet um, because you only had to see against Benfica the other night where um, he doesn't quite get at the moment that the high line you know you can only you can only really I mean that's how Liverpool play but you can only really play with a high line if there's no pressure on the if there's if there's pressure on the passer from midfield. If there isn't, you've got you've got to drop off a little bit. I don't think he's quite got that yet. Look, he's he's, he's almost there, but um, does he get in before Matip? No, no. Um, Matip's Matip's been excellent again all season, and the other thing that Matip has been giving Liverpool as well is is coming out from the back and and committing the opposition midfield players and he's made such a difference and uh, him and him and Van Dijk obviously are the best partnership at the club so Kanate is getting closer yeah shall we say which is which is fab isn't it and he look he looks like he's learning and I mean what is he 22 23 he's a beast as well isn't he in terms of size uh, one last thing then Salah uh, he's playing really well. The ball just won't go in off his ass. It's whatever is going on. <laughs> it's just bad luck at the moment. It seems, or or is he playing yeah. a little bit off? I don't know. What's your no? He's, no, it's, there's not. There's nothing wrong with his performances. He's just he's just not scoring. But they're winning. 
And it, 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 it really doesn't matter. And it, it will change. It always will. It always has done. I mean, Mane had a little bit of a spell as well. But, you know, the fact they've got, they've got five players in there for the three positions is, is not an issue. And as I said, they're winning all the games. And generally, they're, they're winning quite comfortably. And I know Klopp said on, on Saturday that the first half was the best performance. But in all honesty, I thought they were aided and abetted by uh, Manchester City because... Why you wouldn't play your best goalkeeper and arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world in a team that was weakened because of injuries elsewhere just remains to be seen. I just think, you know, I said to you before about Guardiola, I think sometimes he overthinks everything and thinks he's the cleverest person in, in the room. But um, what a strange decision that was playing the goal, playing the American boy. Yeah, and look, the, the goal that Zach Steffen concedes um, by his touch, when you compare and contrast with what Ederson was able to do in a similar scenario like you can see that the difference between at least getting into extra time in the game is that one goal and well, we, we reduce football sometimes too easily to these tiny incidents but like it's it's clear that in a similar scenario one of the best goalkeepers in the world has actually shown us in the previous game that he can get out of yeah. that scenario and this guy he's just young and learning his way and getting to the inexperienced maybe rather than young um, can't do it no, well, you know, I thought he should have saved the third goal. I thought his, I thought his positioning was wrong. I mean, it, it was shot away. It was shot away by that poor lad. I mean, um, be interesting to see whether we ever we ever see him again playing for City in a, in a, in a meaningful game. And um, you know, and um, it's, it's unfortunate, obviously. But what 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 a game to throw him in on! It just it just did not make any sense. And I, and I know after uh, the game in Atletico Madrid, when I think, what did Guardiola say? We're in trouble. Well, no wonder he's in trouble when he chucked the kid in. I mean, what, what, what's the point? I don't, I don't get it. I really seriously do not get it. He could have actually completely done his career in. Uh, the Daily Mail this morning are reporting that Manchester City have agreed terms with uh, Haaland's people. Half a million a week mm. is going to be the, the salary and that that will result in them triggering the release clause for sixty million or whatever the, whatever the fee ends up being. Yeah. So, uh, is it a coincidence that this comes in the immediate aftermath of defeat to their main rivals in the cup? Um, is it a bone that they're throwing to the city fans? Going, don't worry. No, no, I think it was always going to happen, wasn't it? I don't, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was. It, it was that. It's just. Um, you know, he's only just come back from injury, but he had a spell of not scoring for a while as well, didn't he? I think everyone was looking at him thinking, wow, has, has, has his magic gone? But no, I mean, it'd be an outstanding signing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it won't really matter if, if he's not, because they're still an absolute top team. Well, you know, these, these, these two, Liverpool and Man City, the, the two top teams in the world, as everybody knows now. So um, I think I think it'd be a good signing. Um and gives them again a different way of playing. But if, if you look at, he's going to have to get used to the fact that sometimes he might not see the bottle for a while because they do love keeping it. And it might suit him. It might suit him to have a little bit of a rest, you know, up, up front. And then when it gets into his areas, possibly that all of a sudden he's raring to go. But I think I think I think it's a really good signing. And they're always going to make a statement with the signings anyway. Look at Grealish for 100 million quid last year. Do you make City still the favourites to win the league? Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather be in their position than Liverpool. Although, you know, as I said to you before, it's 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 easier chasing and it's more difficult being chased. But but yeah, but you just the the only thing is you just 
I just look at Guardiola and look at his, and he's a top coach, manager, call him whatever you will, but he does sometimes make strange decisions. I'll throw you another one in, which wasn't long ago. Crystal Palace away um, when they were drawing, needed to change the game. No substitutions. What's what's that all about? I, I just, I, I just, that's I think is kind of Achilles heel for want of a better description. And I'm just wondering whether in this running he has another one. That's the hope from a Liverpool perspective. Uh, Kieran, yeah, yeah. If they were if they were to pull this off, right, the the quadruple. I, I do wonder first off what, what's your instinct about the fact that that's what they keep getting asked about and it keeps being every paper every day has had talk of the quadruple since the league cup final does mm-hmm. that does that add pressure does it what, what, does that have any impact do you think on the possibility of nah. what's happening nah they're in a bubble they're, they're in a bubble and you know they know I mean the clock keeps saying as well the, the number of games they've got to play um, and obviously still in two cup competitions because, you know, you just need one poor performance in a, in a cup match and, and you're out. Um, no, they won't. Listen, they won't be talking about that in the dressing room. They'll actually be taking the mickey out of each other and, and stuff with, with, with different things. That that won't be, come on, boys, let's, you know, go on and win the quadruple. It will not It will not be mentioned. Um, you know, we were looking fortunate to win three, I think, one year, three out of four and stuff, and... He didn't actually until the very last competition, like the European Cup. He didn't think, oh, you know, we can win a tr- we can win a treble. It was you're more worried about the fact who were you playing next? Would you still be in the team? You know, if you had a bit of a stumer and stuff. So, no, it's it's and the other thing I think these guys don't read papers anymore, do they? Um, they, they obviously watch telly and listen to the radio, but well, maybe maybe not even listen to the radio, unfortunately. But that's their own fault. But um. They probably watch Sky and you know realize how great they are. Not, but now it's um, in 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 the dressing room. It, it will be the last thing that the, anybody ever mentions. Because by the way, if Klopp heard it, Klopp would go nuts. It like it, it, it is like an unquestionable massive achievement if you manage to win multiple trophies, whether it's a quadruple or a treble, and. I'm not to get back to Pep again, but it does like that was what was on the line for Manchester City on Saturday. Like um, with his team selection, it was mm. the ability to go and uh, I guess match Manchester United's treble, the exact treble that, that that they had notched up. And they were they're in prime position to win the Premier League. They would obviously be in prime position had they won on Saturday, and they would feel that they could definitely do each job in the Champions League. So so that just makes mm. the, the team selection a little bit more mysterious. Yeah, well, it, well, it does. But then. Um... I don't. I mean, I, you know, we don't know what's what's his, what he's thinking doing between his ears. So, you know, as I say, he's an, he's an outstanding coach, but he just, I don't think he would have been. I don't think the treble particularly worries him. I think he said, didn't he, about a month or six weeks ago that the Champions League is a trophy that they really want to win. And I think if if you said to Liverpool, what would you like to win? Um, they'd probably say the league. <laughs> you know, between between the two of them, but you can't. You cannot pick what you want to win, can you? Because obviously you've got to be outstanding teams along the way and, and you can lose games and, and stuff like that. So, um, no, I think I think all the noise outside about trebles and quadruples and all those kind of things, ah, I don't, in, inside that dressing room, I'm, I wouldn't say it's banned because then you're drawing attention to the fact that you're banning talk about it. But as I said, Klopp will be having absolutely none of that whatsoever. All right, Mark, we've got to let you go. Thanks a million. Great with your time this morning. Cheers. Enjoy the game tonight.
That's uh, Mark Lawrence and helping us to preview Liverpool against Manchester United tonight. What do you think is going to happen, Owen? I think Liverpool will win 2 0. And I think that they're uh, like substantially ahead of Manchester United. Well, they are. Strange things have happened. Yeah, and uh, you're not. You're not. You're, there's no weird like Southampton beat Arsenal at the weekend. Brighton beat Spurs. You're saying none of that. None of that crap can happen. Norwich were you know like two 0 down, came back to two all. Could have like easily done something against Man United at the weekend. You're saying no. I think no, no, no. I think that the way Jurgen Klopp has been playing or speaking in the last couple of days, I think that there is, I think there's limited chance of that happening. Like he's really gone to to, to ten with his uh, talking up of Manchester United and how big uh, a game it is. He says that like we have to be angry, we have to be greedy, uh, you have to approach this game like you won nothing. I think that probably illustrates the attitude of a team that uh, challenges for a title anyway and Manchester United don't, don't have that like this, this is obviously the night where Manchester United get angry and get greedy like they don't do this on a week to week basis so that's why you'd be a little bit concerned of a, of a shock of Liverpool is because of what Manchester United can bring but Liverpool letting down their end of the bargain that's not going to happen because that would be completely out of character with what we've seen from them this season and over the last couple of years yeah it, it, it just the, like for them to be perfect all the way through to the end of the season would be remarkable. Would be like we we appreciate the fact that we are talking about one of the all time great teams if they manage to pull that off and that that is right there for them, and they're trending towards being one of the all time great teams, but they haven't actually delivered enough silverware just yet. They've won a Champions League and they've won a league and a League Cup, which you know we 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 count for the purposes of a quadruple. But when you're tallying it up at the moment, they're. Uh, they're as good as any of the Premier League era teams, except the treble winning team, except maybe the Invincibles, except maybe the Chelsea team who won two leagues in Mourinho's first period. Like at the moment, you know, they've won. They need to win more, I, I would say, to deliver on the promise that they show at the moment. Is that, have I uh, been ambivalent enough about that and given everybody enough to agree with that? I think that this team and its quality deserves more trophies, but deserve got nothing to do with it uh, when it comes to the <laughs> to deliver that punchline of it, just which I created for myself and knocked it out of the park myself. Uh, so, like, uh, yes, they, they're 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 too talented to just walked away from this era with just those three trophies for sure. Uh, the problem is they're up against a team that is better than a team that the treble Manchester United teams were up against domestically and I would say the same goes for the Invincibles team. That's from a movie that was out before you were born. I know. I know. I, you know what? I, I realise and I've come to the realisation that life does exist before 1994 but I'm, I'm not entirely... Like, I kind of like stick my finger in the air and kind of realise that, 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 that there is kind of life and there is culture and uh, you're a man of culture when it comes to like 1980s and 1970s. 1990, 1992. Unforgiven. That's the movie. Yeah. You knew that though, right? Well, of course. I mean, uh, like it's uh, Gene Hackman, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, Gene Hackman is literally getting his head blown off. The next thing that happens after Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> William there you go. blows the head off Gene yeah. Hackman's character. His name, I've, I've, I've uh, sure, I'd say now if we were to sit here for twenty minutes, I'd be able to work it out, but I can't. But yeah, that's, that's okay. the point. We can, we can just sit here in silence and just wait for it to come to you. Deserves got nothing to do with it, and you get your head blown off sometimes by Man United, like. <laughs> if if Ralph Rangnick was to win tonight and secure fourth place and stop Liverpool from winning the league, he would go down as like in he would become a cult hero immediately. So there's a lot on the line from a Manchester United's mm. perspective, which we haven't spoken about. It's all been Liverpool. Liverpool won at the weekend. It's the quadruple. 
if Manchester United were to be able to somehow derail the unstoppable juggernaut of Liverpool from winning the league, and you listen to Lauro, the Champions League would be great, but like we've just won that. Whereas actually winning the league in front of our own fans is the thing that the city of Liverpool, apart from the Everton half of it, wants more than anything. If they could stop that, Manchester United could be the ones to stop that. If Ralph Rangnick could achieve that, that would be uh, that's like that's a legacy, right? That's something. Like he's definitely fighting for his own credibility as much as anything else. I, I would say I think that that's taken a massive battering over the last few months. They, like, uh, and we've had this conversation around Ten Hag over the last little while as well. That there is a risk that you just get on this water slide, which uh, is your reputation, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're just constantly slipping away. And that's what's happened to Rania here a little bit this season. But there's time. There is time, as we said at the top of the show. They can get top four here. They're absolutely in the conversation for it. If he manages to pull that off, it would be. A saving, he would have climbed back up that water slide, which nobody's ever done before, and he would have saved his reputation and maybe even enhanced it. Yeah, I think there'd be a, a bit of enhancing going on at the at the end where everybody revises the oh look at the shit show he inherited. That team should have finished ninth, and then he finishes fourth. Now, obviously, they, have to, they would have to do something remarkable tonight uh, for that to happen. So the uh, other alternative that they finish out of the Champions League places and out of European places is still on the table for them. Um, Lil Bill, that was his name. Lil Bill, Little Bill, uh, Little Bill Daggett was um, the Gene Hackman character, um, who you should think of tonight if, uh, if Bruno Fernandes manages to ping one in from 45 yards. Bruno's in all the papers today for having crashed his Porsche and having had to get Juan Mata to come and pick him up. Juan Mata being in the role of the person that you ring when you crash your car on the way to training is not that surprising, really. It's like, listen, uh, that owner, uh, it's been a bit of a bit of an issue here. Uh, I'll tell you about it when you get here. Could you come and just pick? I'm going to I'm going to drop a pin in WhatsApp. Could you just drive here and don't tell anybody about it? Certainly don't tell any photographers who also happen to be on the scene capturing my very expensive car and the damage to the front right fender. Yeah, it, like a very very on brand for Juan Mata. You know that you could also like crack a joke after about 10 minutes in the car as well with Juan Mata or he sorry, he would do that thing as well. He would kind of soften the blow a little bit for that. There and there isn't even anybody that comes close to that in, in that dressing room. What was the what was the line that Darrow Shea had about Eamon Fitzmaurice? If I murdered somebody, he'd be the first person I call. Was that it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if that's and Juan Mata is in the Eamon Fitzmaurice role for everybody in that Manchester United dressing room. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is eight twenty six this morning. Some of your comments that have been rolling in on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, John says, "Isn't the orange twirl exactly like Kerry's chocolate orange chocolate?" No. Touche. No. Oh. No. They're oh. different. They're different. Cadbury's chocolate is different from Terry's chocolate. Yeah, but it's orange. Orange just like kind of like blasts you with something that just takes away the idea of there being different brands. I would say that there's like uh, more of a hint of orange in the twirl. The Terry's chocolate orange is a bang over the head. Both are pleasurable. Both deliver the same thing. You're, you, know, you get to the end and you're like, I am pleasured. That's like exactly what you want from... Uh, eating too much chocolate uh, the orange chocolate lint is a real thing of beauty says Lawrence I mean if there was a hierarchy of um, stuff that you want for future reference out there if anybody's watching I would like some lint uh, the lint chocolate is my favourite at Christmas at uh, Easter did you like did you go shopping for your own Easter egg on like Easter morning when you realised that pretty much pretty much it was like late on Saturday I was like I'm really not getting you really I'm really not getting anything no Okay, fair enough. The worst, you weren't here last week, but the worst part is like I sent away for this fancy thing online 
Um, and then it arrived and it turned out it was actually the size of a cream egg. <laughs> Like, oh no what yeah. was that it was like uh, that that uh, easter egg is far away oh no it's right beside <laughs> me and it's still the same size um, <laughs> it was like a fancy filled painted thing which was like you know I was saying um, roughly cost the same as a Fabergé egg uh, I was like oh this is going to win me some brownie points I might even get a, an egg in return no no egg in return oh it was a gift yeah Oh, no. Well, not for myself. Oh. No, I didn't buy it. I know. I didn't buy the fancy stuff for myself. That was, uh, yeah. And how, how, much did you, how much did you pay for it, if you don't mind me asking? For a green egg? 20 quid. <laughs> like, 20 quid is going to be like a normal-sized egg. It was literally, but it was, like, smaller than it. It was half a cream egg. Um, oh apparently, it was very nice, too. I didn't, I didn't get to try it. No, I can imagine you didn't. No. That's, they need to start putting, like, uh, 10 cents beside Easter eggs. There wasn't enough to share. It's 8.28 this morning. Um, Klopp admitted Liverpool took mercy on them at Old Trafford at 5-0 after Pogba got sent off, says Yassin, with half an hour to go. They could feasibly hit them for six-plus tonight. This is, uh, you know, that's the type of stuff that creeps in. What, what are all the friends of the Liverpool players saying ahead of this game tonight? In their WhatsApp groups, in their meetings with them. Are they like, oh, you're going to go and hammer Man United, it's going to be a historic night for you. All you got to do is show up. They'll barely be able to keep the ball kicked out and so forth and so on, right? That's, that's what they're all saying. None of them are saying, I'm yeah. really worried about this Man United team, this flaky United team. None of them are saying that. No, but like Liverpool haven't gotten to within contention on four fronts by allowing that stuff to seep into their heads. Like that, that's not even going to be something that they entertain. Like Liverpool are better than Manchester United and if Liverpool show up, they will beat them. And of course, there are other factors than how hard you're trying. But I don't think there will be enough of those factors that will stop Liverpool showing up to the extent required to beat Manchester United. And that, that's that's why you'd be confident enough. Like, obviously, the 6-7 thing could be ridiculous. Like, the, the, the thing is, though, that Manchester United, if they concede an early goal, what happens to them? What, what are their friends saying in the WhatsApp group? They're going, oh, this could get ugly if there's an early goal. And that's the difference. Uh, I'm looking forward to a Maguire masterclass tonight says Ballon Dorson uh, also on YouTube which is a fair point there are some extenuating circumstances which prevent this from being a true trap game in that Manchester United are uh, discernibly and demonstrably a bad team Um, so uh, MOC says that wouldn't be like you George say something about Wales very out of character indeed I've no idea why Stephen Jones blocked me if anybody uh, wants to ask Stephen Jones what it was that Although he's blocked so many people at this point, I suspect he can't actually remember why he blocked people. Uh, Shifty Lad says, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I think Salah really needs Firmino to play for him to be at his best. Trent is amazing. His pass on the third goal is pure class. Beware Manchester United tonight. Come on, the devils. Um, Does Salah need some Firmino action beside him? I think it's just bad luck rather than anything specific. It's not like... we We don't believe any of the conspiracy theories about the contract playing on his mind and the absence of certainty somehow feeding into an uncertainty when it comes to him being a smidgen less ruthless or less fortunate when it comes to his finishes, right? Do we? No, like I, I, I wonder is there questions maybe about just the, um, 
severity of the damage he was doing to the opponents in the first half of the season with uh, with his goal scoring. Uh, like, I don't think anybody said that there's been a, a massive drop off whatsoever. But he has played a lot of football. He has gone and he's gone on a couple of international breaks that have been particularly taxing. And uh, like, and, and and I would suggest that maybe that's had a, a tiny bit of an impact, but but nothing major. Like, I think that Mo Salah is still the best player in the Premier League, one of the best players in the world right now, and he's the guy you want with the ball at his feet if it's nil all going down the home stretch in the Champions League final. Uh, Liverpool up against one good team domestically says in Bod We Trust 13 on YouTube who isn't actually Brian O'Driscoll uh, Liverpool up against one good team domestically that same team in Europe United's travel team had to contend with a great Arsenal team domestically and then Barcelona Inter Milan Juventus and Bayern when they were all real forces in Europe you'd say that uh, Bayern were still a real force in Europe you know I mean They've just been beaten in the uh, quarterfinals, but let's wait and see exactly you know how good Villarreal are over two legs. You would also say that Real Madrid are still a good team in European football terms. Chelsea just won the European Cup last season. I, I think this argument that like uh, oh this era is much easier than other eras isn't true. Is it? I, I would say that when you get to the to the very end of the Champions League, it's 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 actually more difficult. Than it used to be. I think the the super team era is here in a way that it wasn't in '99. I do think that maybe getting out of your group would have been tougher in '99. I think Manchester United's group proved that it was it, it, like the, the group they had, they'd had in '99. That was obviously a bit more coincidental. But I think that there was a, definitely a few more banana skins around the way. Whereas at the moment, I think that it's just the top teams that are all on a crazy level and, and a level that perhaps we haven't seen before. So it's when you get to the to the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Ironic that Liverpool are playing Villarreal, I'd accept. But that's where the, the problems arise. And that's when the, the real difference is, I think. All right. Last quick messages here. Uh, Owen, excited for the upcoming Kendrick album? Yes. Yes. It's not till next month. Uh, obviously, uh, I got a lot of hate for saying that Kendrick existed in a different plane to Eminem after the Super Bowl this year. But you know what? If there's Kendrick fans out there, hopefully there might be a bit of love as well. It's been five years, five long years since uh, one of the best to ever do it has done it so uh, next May I can't remember the exact date he released the press release last night uh, quote tweeting somebody says Kendrick's retired I think uh, so this is going to be his last album with his current recording label uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens after that okay uh, did he not come off as absolute peak though was it on a period where everybody was like oh he's past it this is a comeback in some ways I mean obviously five years since uh, that would make sense too but yeah, I, I I don't know. I would respectfully disagree with that, but I'm I'm not necessarily a rap aficionado. I just think that Kendrick is absolutely phenomenal, and as I say, one of the best to ever do it. And I think his last album was absolutely on that level. Not my personal favorite, but he he hasn't necessarily dropped off a, a whole a whole pile. It's going to be one of the music events of the year uh, next month. All right, uh, Michael says I'm a United fan. I've never felt less hopeful about his future before. Our midfield is non-existent. All I needed two midfielders and the club signed Ronaldo. Instead, it's a disaster. And Martin says, I'd love to see Randy take a leap of faith and play a lot of youngsters in reserves tonight. That would be uh, an amazing <laughs> power flex from Randy going, ah, screw you, you screwed me, I'm screwing you. No fourth you, lads. Oh, That's going to be the conference league next year for them, isn't it? Week yeah. in, week out, we get to see the academy. Yeah, 100%. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's time for the newspapers. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. Okay, 
Uh, otbsports.com Ralph Arnick issues positive injury update on Bruno Fernandes he's going to be alright Lord Lariat claims 150th Irish Grand National we'll talk about that a bit more in a few minutes but a sensational back to back for an unheralded trainer winning the richest race in Irish jumps racing on Bank Holiday uh, and it was it's his local track and last year um, when they had 151 150 to one winner there was nobody at the track so this year obviously a huge and incredible scenes for it Bruno Fernandes involved in car accident but believed to have escaped serious injury he's grand and Man City aren't too concerned about the FA Cup says Keith Tracy obviously not to the point where they were picking their best team the Irish Independent Keen I'll never be a manager again I can't see a club giving me a real good opportunity to get back into it that's Roy Keane in an interview that he was doing with uh, Jamie Carragher. Um, Kernan backs disciplinary stance over players joining Malise. That's Joe Kernan saying anybody else joining in needs to be suspended too. And the URC urged to contemplate final in South Africa. So it's possible that uh, helping to bet in the South African teams, there will be a home final for our South African team if they make it to the final uh, Lencer are in South Africa with um, an interesting squad to see exactly what's going to happen uh, how they get on there and Lord Leaping as O'Hanlon soars to national success so Lightning struck twice in the Irish Grand Nationalist Dermot McLaughlin landed the Ferry House showpiece so 41 chance this year 151 chance last year and um, a uh, a young jockey who had previously tried to make it as a flat jockey and has come back and still riding out his claim um, a sensational story uh, to win the race yesterday it's like I mean it's incredible to be able to do it once is sensational to be able to do it twice is absolutely remarkable so uh, back page of the Herald no mo goals is not a problem Klopp happy with former Salah and Mane ahead of clash with Man United uh, continuation of foul play produces yet another shocking advertisement for rugby this is Owen Doyle's opinion piece in the Irish uh, Times Carberry and Munster look to build on confidence boosting win so uh, Joey Carver's kicking style Owen tell me how happy you feel watching it what, what are the feelings that when you're just watching him as if he's out in his backyard and chipping balls over pretty great I would have thought what's the sorry what's the angle here I actually haven't read this piece what's the oh no I'm just the, saying the that, well, I don't know if you I don't know if you caught the game live the weekend but like yeah. there was one bit where uh, they kept telling us about how the howling gales and winds were blowing from and like there's a kicking from team from the Shannon there's a yeah. There's a kicking tee, and Keith Earls is lying there holding the ball in the kicking tee, and it's like no, no big deal, no bother. And then there's another one from the sideline after the incredible. The I I, had, I stopped and and rewound and rewound and rewound and rewound to try and see how did Zebo get the ball to Dialende? How did he do it? Oh. And then I think it's um, Brendan Moran from Sports File. I don't know if you've seen the the range of pictures that he has. Have you seen those? These stills? Yeah. They're unbelievable. That's like some of the best sports photography you're ever going to see. Where you can see that Zebo's not looking and he's got the ball is still in his hand as he throws it backwards to Dialende. I couldn't see on the TV how he got the ball to him. It was sensational. And then Dialende absolutely perfectly does the, oh, I'm just going to jump in because it's going to look great for the cameras. And I don't really need to do this, but I look absolutely. He, he does the full Superman uh touching the ball down with two hands. It's delicious. It's absolutely one of the most mm. delicious things you're ever going to see. And then the kick is impossible because of the wind, blah, blah, blah. But it's not impossible because it's Joey Carberry. And it's like, wow, look at this. So. Like, that, I, maybe that's gone a little bit underappreciated with Carberry over the last little while because from open play, he's so good. And it's like, this is a number 10 with a difference. And the very basic art of kicking the ball between the posts and how effective he is at it and how good he looks doing it is something maybe that hasn't gone commented upon 
as much as maybe it should have done because he is very very like even even the night against even the night against Leinster uh, when Munster looked really bad off the tee you're like okay this guy looks really good even though his opposite number is clearly somebody who's going to be breathing down his neck for the next few years even in the post-Sexton era in, in Ross Byrne like and that's going to be what he's going to be judged against the, the top quality kicker is the basic outhaves uh, around the country and he can absolutely nail those kicks when he needs to that offload from Zebo was absolutely ridiculous though and even in the replay it was hard to spot what actually happened and I'm still not sure quite what happened but um, like it, it's, it's just and I know Owen Farrell had a similar offload over the course of the weekend as well those moments where you're like how does that person do it I can't even identify on the television replay how he did it it's just magic no the, the TV uh, cameras didn't capture it at all uh, back page of the Irish Daily Mail Ronaldo tragedy United striker in greatest pain that any parent can feel after death of newborn son Manchester United last night offered their unconditional support Cristiano Ronaldo after the tragic death of his baby son, the 37-year-old said he and girlfriend Georgina Rodriguez were in the greatest pain any parents can feel. He'd been expecting twins with Rodriguez and announced that the baby girl had been delivered safely. Uh, so it's a horrible story there. And then the 500 grand a week Haaland agrees deal with City. That is the Mike Keegan exclusive, which has now been picked up by everybody else. So obviously everybody else is uh, happy with the reporting that's going on. And it does look as if uh, Haaland's people have at least said this is what we will accept so I don't think that that rules out the possibility of Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain joining uh, and agreeing to the same deal which then will mean that this saga continues uh, the mirror uh, your pain is our pain that's the Cristiano Ronaldo story there as well good lord 40 to 1 Lariat delivers Lord Lariat delivers trainer Dermot his second Irish Grand National in a row it's Emma Radu Kane you so she showed up to training in a Spurs top she's a fan apparently copycats is the back page of the Sun Ralph follow Klopp model boss fears for United rebuild and Frank Warren is saying that Daniel Kinahan is not involved in the Tyson Fury Dillian White fight which is uh, taking place next weekend and uh, it's just a, a story that continues to be in the papers every single day anger management Klopp wants his troops fired up for the most important points ever 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 um, and then that's the front of the examiner it's the last one for now Lord and Master double national delight for Dermot McLaughlin as 40 to 1 outsider delivers uh, an incredible story um, a proper rags to riches tale from the world of horse racing uh, oh, one last thing sorry Wayne Rooney in the back of the uh, Derby got relegated officially yesterday after a fairly heroic battle from their points deduction and he's saying he's going to bring them back up that he's going to stick around which if he does would be one of the best football stories that I've seen in a long time where Wayne Rooney's got his eyes on the long term prize and uh, if he manages to get Derby up from League One to the Championship next season when the takeover happens it's dependent on the takeover happening and all that kind of stuff too so we'll see Uh, right Gary says Unforgiven a modern western classic great cameo by Richard Harris as Cockney English Bob acting heavyweights abound in that movie yeah uh, Richard Harris is sensational I don't, you've obviously seen this Owen I have you seem surprised that I have seen a movie that was released before my date of birth which I guess you know is is your is your patronising want well, just that you're generally a cultural wasteland and I'm impressed that you're taking efforts to recu- recuperate that part of your brain which is obviously you know lying dusty yeah, you see yourself and John have given me a, a kick in this direction. Um, yourself and John should do like an 80s film club, actually. It's 8.43 this morning here on OTBIM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Will O'Callaghan is with us. Will, good morning to you. How are you? 
Yeah, not too bad, lads. Unforgiven didn't come out in the 1980s for a start. No, 92. Um, 92, yeah. yeah we yeah. established that earlier. Yeah. Mm. The, the ultimate anti-Western in many ways, but yeah. You, you're a fan? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Unforgiven's a cracker. It's one of those kind of Clint Eastwood, you can almost like track from the start of his career where he's in traditional Westerns. Effectively, the Dirty Harry movies are like Westerns with guns as a cop anyway. And then Unforgiven goes against pretty much all the Western tropes uh, laid on in the end of his kind of full-time acting career. And he's gone on to be a very good director as well. It's hard not to love that movie. Yeah, it's sensational. Um, mm. Absolutely sensational. And brilliant performances from everybody in it. So let's move on. What, where, where do you want to start, Will? Yeah, look, it's a pretty busy day uh, sports-wise. Obviously, we've gone through some of the main stories there in the papers, but tonight Liverpool have got the chance to go top of the Premier League. They have to avoid defeat at home against their rivals, Manchester United. You remember the reverse fixture back at Old Trafford earlier in the season where Liverpool won by five goals to nil. Uh, Liverpool, who are on track to potentially win four trophies this season after getting through to the FA Cup final at the weekend, are unbeaten in 12 in the league. Looks like Bruno Fernandes, despite that car accident he had at the weekend, will be available to play. It's unknown if Cristiano Ronaldo will play following the uh, passing of his newborn boy uh, overnight. A victory for United would move them level on points with fourth place Tottenham. Fulham have got the chance to go up to the Premier League for next season. They can officially secure promotion if they win against Preston tonight. Top of the air, Tristy League. Premier Division has tightened up a lot over the last three days. Derry City's lead at the top is now down to one point. Suffered their first defeat at the weekend. Dropped points again last night. Held to a one-all draw against Drogheda. Shamrock Rovers moving within a point of the Candy Stripes. Danny Mandreu scoring in the second half as Shamrock Rovers beat Dundalk Catalyst stadium by one goal to nil. Elsewhere Bowes winning on the road against Shelburne. Quite remarkable that Shell's form is all away from home as opposed to at home. Beaten 4-1 by Bowes at Tolka Park. Carlos Sullivan came back to haunt his former side as Sligo Rovers won 1-0 at Finn Harps and UCD's winless run at the bottom is now 11 games after they were beaten 2-1 by St. Pat's. Uh, covered in some of the papers, the interview with Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane. Keane saying it's unlikely he'll be offered the chance to manage another club. The former Manchester United and Republic of Ireland captain held talks you remember back with Sunderland in February but ultimately they appointed Alex Neal as their head coach. He most recently worked as Martin O'Neill's assistant with the Republic of Ireland and Nottingham Forest, leaving that role with Forest back in 2019. Keane says it's unlikely he'll get a good opportunity from another club to get back into management. Promoter Frank Warren says Daniel Kinnan has no involvement whatsoever in the upcoming world title fight between Dillian White and Tyson Fury this weekend. Top rank chief Bob Arum revealed at the weekend that the criminal cartel boss was paid millions of dollars for his role in arranging the last four fights for the WBC champion Fury but Warren has told the BBC overnight that Fury's former advisor Kinnahan was not part of any of the negotiations about this weekend's title bout at Wembley Cork and Kerry into the Airgrid Munster under 20 football championship final Rhino Donovan with one goal and six points for Cork as they eased past Limerick by 2.15 to 5 points last evening Killian Burke with 1-2 for Kerry as they defeated Clare by 1.11 to 8 points tonight a semi-final date with Dublin is the reward for the winners of the clash of Leash and Wexford no Oisin Pepper for Wexford because he came on for around 90 seconds for the Wexford seniors at the weekend in their draw against Galway 7.30 start for that one at Moore Park which I know Garrod Hegarty was fuming at the rule last week but it, it seems slightly crazy Colin O'Neill can't play for Limerick in the Munster under 20 either after he came on for Limerick against Cork at the weekend uh, Mark Allen has got a clash with Ronnie O'Sullivan to look forward to the World Snooker Championship O'Sullivan could be in trouble for a gesture which was picked up on camera uh, when he missed a black in his match with Dave Gilbert at the weekend he's been referred uh, for disciplinary action for it but Alan progressing last night 10 frames to 6 against Scott Donaldson they seem to have a slightly different approach to gesturing to the crowd in the WPBSA than they do in the NBA there was no yeah. uh, you know 
uh, the fruity language that Owen chose to drop on our, our listeners at 7.47 this morning, <laughs> where, you know, where we, we didn't do a Jack Grealish and uh, pixelate out his mouth or the sound. There was no beep, uh, you know. Uh, they do that. They take that stuff relatively seriously in snooker. Apparently, they have no sense of humor when it comes to giving the finger the, the, the crowd the bird. I think if Owen was at the Crucible, he'd probably be referred to a disciplinary committee at the moment uh, for his <laughs> foul mouth this morning. But yeah, look, they've got very strict rules there. It's even got to the point of the Crucible where the Coventry fan who used to wear his football jersey into the Crucible a few years ago, that's been banned. You can't get in now if you wear um, jerseys of other sports into the Crucible. So they've got very strict rules. And I don't know, it's very hard to see them actually hand out any kind of punishment to Ronnie O'Sullivan, which won't see him play in the second round against Mark Allen. But I would think that he's probably going to get a fine for his indiscretion at the weekend. And the other story, which has been picked up by some of the papers too, it was an interview with Men's Health magazine by Bradley Wiggins, the former Tour de France champion. He's revealed that he was sexually abused when he was a teenager by one of his coaches. The Olympic gold medal winner has said that he was groomed when he was 13 years of age and that the impact of the abuse has carried through into his adult life. Wiggins added that he felt unable to talk to his family about the issue when he was a teenager due to a very difficult relationship which he had with his stepfather. I didn't know that his father had been murdered that uh, his father was um, Australian cycling champion yeah yeah he'd left the family and they had become uh, separated and not spoken for years and then well, Wiggins had made some kind of peace and then they'd fallen out again it seems and then he was murdered at a house party it was like uh, that's a, an incredible backstory that's I, you know I didn't I probably should have paid a bit more attention to the Wigan story. And then he's, it, this is actually an interview with Alistair Campbell that he's spoken about this, which is obviously horrific for anybody to endure. And hopefully it helps some other people who might have suffered similarly to come out and tell their story too. Um, a couple of other things that we should talk about that we haven't spoken about. Shane Lowry didn't make the um, performance rankings. Where would he have been on? What was, that was, the I guess, the, the uh, battle in your mind. Where would you have put him? I think anywhere other than Red would have been an, an injustice to, to Shane Lowry and, and for his efforts over the course of the weekend because it was an absolute disaster, wasn't it? The 13th hole, the, the, the chip in that just completely overshot, overshot the runway and kind of trickled into the water and all his hopes kind of uh, dissolving around him. And obviously that's uh, the, the, the inability over those last few holes to get himself into a position to just get one more birdie probably would have stung even though the course was playing quite hard over those last few holes on the Sunday uh, I think it's just an, an, an absolute nightmare especially given how Spieth did it and I guess where Spieth was when he walked off the course before the playoff on Sunday afternoon you had a hunch that maybe he could be involved in the playoff and there might be more to might be more golf to play but you never really thought that, that Shane Lowry would, would do enough bad to actually allow that to happen. And unfortunately, that, that's what did happen. So I think, yes, of course, he was excellent throughout the course of the weekend, uh, having those finishes in back-to-back weeks as well. And, and I guess uh, the, the finishing at Honda earlier on the season, it's been a very, very good season overall. But not getting a win is something that's going to stick with him and he's going to need to get one soon, you suspect, because he's in good form. Yeah, you, you obviously have been uh, following Shane Lowry since he was a kid. What, what's... Hey, there we go. There we go. Hank doesn't like uh, Owen putting Shane Lowry into the red rankings, but go on. You would have put him in green, I suspect, for the like competing again. I, I did. Here's the worst part. Right? I didn't get to see the back nine because I was actually at a medal presentation where I was sitting one table away from Shane Lowry's aunt. And I was at a table with Michael Dignan, um, myself, both at our phones out trying to watch it on the Humble PGA Brag. Tour app. 
which is not an easy thing to do when you see that at one point Shane Lowry had gone to 14 under par and he'd gone too clear at a point uh, when Cantley had dropped a shot. And you're thinking, perhaps, you know, Shane Lowry's good form, like he's at his highest world ranking in 18 months now at this stage, was going to seal the deal. And then you hear about him going into the drink with his second shot on the par three, and then you just kind of think it's going to slip away. But yet, towards the end of the round, you're just hoping that he can get to a playoff with Jordan Spieth because he loves playing at Hilton Head. It's one of those tournaments. And sometimes when someone's in... like a good run of form because it's very clear Augusta is not a good course for Shane Lowry and with the exception of the frustrations with Bo about his approach shot which I think Shane openly has admitted in the interview with Paul Kimmage was his fault and not Bo's but you have to have some kind of did release he, valve. He, it still felt a little bit like he was still blaming Bo. It was like no, well, he gave me the wrong club. Like, oh, hang yeah. on a second, hang on a second. It's like no, no, I'm not going to change. Okay, the old, maybe. The old adage goes, Jared, that you know, if you're a club or two the wrong way, it's the caddy's fault. And if you go left or right, it's your coach's fault. The last thing that a golfer can do when it's so key in an individual sport to be able to show resilience after a bad shot and go back and be confident again is to find any excuse for the <laughs> fact that you've hit a bad shot. Because let's be fair, right? Shane Larry's one of the best short range players in world golf. Realistically, he hit the shot quite badly. He left it 30 yards short. So, wrong club. Um, or whatever has been handed to him by Bo or whether Bo got the yardage ever so slightly wrong he just needed someone to blame because you're in Augusta you're trying to battle going down to the uh, back nine on the moving day in a major understandably you're going to lash out at somebody and the two of them were hugging at the end of it I'm sure they went for a coffee and went for dinner afterwards no particular problem and again they did quite well at the weekend at Hilton Head it's just a pity from Shane Lowry's point of view that he wasn't able to close it out and get a win but uh, whatever watching TV it's far more agonising when you're at an event as we were on Sunday we're at a medal presentation for St. Rhinus uh, GA and Camogie team and there was no big screen in the ballroom that we were in and I think the 500 people who were at the award, at that uh, presentation were all following on their phone it's amazing how many heads were stuck into the PGA Tour app but unfortunately Larry didn't get the job done yeah uh, he is in really good form at the moment and if he can maintain this for the next month or so it's not a bad time of the year to be in good form yeah especially with the majors being that little bit earlier this season as well so yeah look he's, he's doing very well and again I think there'd be a lot to take from Augusta where last year finished you know, just outside the top 10 it was his best ever finish you know, previous to that he'd never really contended at the Masters you could argue that he wasn't really in contention on Sunday but still got himself a top 5 finish some huge ranking points picked up over the last few weeks and like, he's had a succession of top 7 finishes this year so as you said Ger, it's not a bad time to be informed 330 grand for uh, finishing uh, tied 3rd at the weekend as well so not a bad week's work Okay, let's talk about the weekend's hurling you've got the hurling pod graphic behind you there slightly delayed recording this week when can we expect it do you think? Uh, should be out around five o'clock hopefully um, Paul Murphy is doing his best to get divorced on his honeymoon currently he brought the iPad and his microphone with him uh, to record the pod and he ended up watching both of the Munster Championship games <laughs> on his iPad at the weekend much to his uh, new wife's chagrin uh, but she is allowing him away for about an hour to record this afternoon uh, because unfortunately he was on safari yesterday and we had great plans to record at 5am on Monday and I was in bed early after that medal presentation to be awoken by a text from James Skell, Cork's favourite pundit right now, uh, who said unfortunately he was sick so we weren't able to record yesterday so we're about 24 hours later than planned but it'll be up uh, later on this evening, probably around 6 or 7 o'clock Well lots to consider um, we, we, so uh, yeah, a lot of debate about the quality of fare that we saw in Leinster but um, this always happens it, So Limerick are the best team in the country at the moment but there haven't been that many teams from Munster who've put it up to them in recent years. I seem to remember Kilkenny beating Limerick in an All-Ireland semi-final 
you know, in, in, in living memory. I seem to remember uh, Galway putting it up to them a couple of times over the last four or five years too. So let's just let's just cool the jets on the only thing that matters is the Munster Hurling Championship for, for a while. The the end of the Wexford Goa game was gloriously dramatic and bonkers and sure leads to the stopwatch coming out on the Sunday game for uh, how long uh, each player had over the ball at the end. But like, you know, I, I think all this is going to do is uh, serve to fuel the fires of uh, Leinster hurling in particular. Well, look, it sets up a situation, lads, where potentially a team with five points in Leinster might not qualify in the top three and get to the knockout stages of the championship. And it puts that bit of extra importance onto Dublin's trip to Wexford this weekend in the championship because realistically, the way I think both teams have to look at it is Wexford salvaged a point at the weekend with the four late scores from Leach in. Galway should have been almost out of sight at halftime with the amount of chances that they missed in the first half. I thought Wexford were very disappointing in the first 35 minutes particularly. They stayed in the game in the second half but didn't look like they were going to get anything from it Galway were six points up even quite late in the game and then Lee Chin comes on just settles the ship a little bit um, he adds that little bit of extra physicality when he comes in I'm sure the debate is going to be there on two sides with Lee Chin but what he brings in the half forward line if he starts if he's fit because it seems he had a bit of a reoccurrence of a hamstring injury after the Waterford game and that's why Wexford have been taking his recovery in a very conservative way but also his long range free taking which we saw towards the end of the game is very important to have him there I'm sure they'll use Rory O'Connor probably for the shorter range frees but for those a bit further out Lee Chin is very very important to the team Galway I thought operated reasonably well in what was a pretty poor fixture overall like I thought the quality of the game was poor enough but it felt like two teams who were you know going out kind of feeling their way into the championship knew the importance of the game uh, with regard to who's going to get out of the province at the end of it this was still a crucial fixture and you know Wexford just about did enough to salvage that point it'll feel like Galway will almost feel like a defeat as opposed to a draw at the end of it but Galway should be able to just get things back on track when they play against Westmead this weekend in Salt Hill Westmead put it up to Kilkenny for pretty much all of the first half Killian Doyle scored 10 points in the first half and then the big guns came on like if, if you're going to keep guns in reserve have a bazooka in TJ Reid to be able to bring on in the second half and in the end Kilkenny scored five goals they still look like they're the best team in Leinster and I like the way that the start has worked out for Kilkenny because they were easing their Ballyhell Shamrocks players back in and that was TJ Reid's first involvement of this season for Kilkenny at the weekend in Mullingar they will play against Leash at home this weekend probably should win that and then they go to Salt Hill where if they beat Galway, they pretty much have got a foot and a half into the Leinster final midway through the campaign. This weekend, the crucial fixture is obviously Wexford hosting Dublin. Dublin really kind of flattered at the weekend with the two-point win against uh, Leash. Didn't play well, despite the fact they'd won very comfortably against Leash in the league a couple of weeks ago. Ender Rowland had another free, which potentially could have got another goal for Leash late on in the game. Leash were competitive throughout and would probably be happy enough with that start, even though their manager, Cheddar Plunkett, said moral victories are no use to them. It was about trying to get a couple of points at Parnell Park. Leash will feel that they're going to get a victory against Westmead to stay in the Leinster Championship for next year. And Dublin are going to have to up their performance if they're going to get something from Wexford this weekend because I think Wexford are going to be uh, very much improved on what they showed last week. Okay. Are Cork All-Ireland contenders? Not if they play Limerick again, I don't think. Um, again, like there were so many parallels with the way that they faded out in the All-Ireland final. Like The concern would be, as good as I think Cork are, particularly from midfield up, lads, if you only score one point from play in the last half hour or so of that game, that's simply not good enough. And 
Limerick took complete control of the game, particularly from the start of the second half. From 40 minutes on, there was only one team in the game and Limerick were so, so comfortable. Like There were a lot of plus points you know, for Limerick if you want to focus on them. Like Look at the versatility they've got in their team where Casey can win a cornerback. You can put Kyle Hayes back up into the full forward line and seamlessly, it's almost like plug and play. They can both fit into the system and things just rock on. And like they go down to Porky Cueve. They survived the fact that Kingston had put the ball in the net 16 seconds into the game. And after that, Limerick were just able to take control. And again, we saw how good Dimmer Burns is. We talk about you know how much of a difference Lee Chin being able to put the ball over from long range. Burns was able to punish Cork every time that they gave away a freeze. And Cork, I think quite simply, didn't give away enough freeze during the game. I still think that that defence with Cork is a little bit too nice and a little bit too soft. You would hope that some of the times that Limerick were running through them, that they would just draw a foul, take a free and allow Galan or Burns to put it over. But they there was just that lack of intensity in the tackle from Cork which you'd expect if they're going to be able to get past Limerick later in the championship that's not to say that Cork won't qualify or can't get out but Clare the one team who weren't playing last weekend must be licking their lips about the possibility of beating Cork at Semple Stadium because of the fact that now Cork had to give away home advantage due to the Ed Sheeran gig that now that opens the door for Clare maybe to get through as the third team and like in fairness to Tipperary I thought Tip hurled very well against Waterford probably should have been more ahead at half time at Welsh Park didn't do enough and then a story of a sub coming on in Austin Gleeson helped to switch the game for Waterford in the second half and Waterford who've been so impressive and go to Limerick this weekend had to grind out a result in a way that they haven't had to because of the very comfortable victories they had in the league semi-final and the final against Wexford and against Cork respectively had to do a little bit dirtier and more grindy against Tipperary at the weekend but that Tipperary-Clare game becomes really important now this weekend to see who's going to qualify for Munster and then you've got Waterford going to Limerick in a way it's a pity that Limerick or Waterford didn't get caught out there because it would have added maybe that little bit of extra spice to the game between Waterford and Limerick this weekend yeah. you would think they're both going to qualify even despite who wins this weekend but yeah. it should still be a good fixture particularly because we didn't get to see Waterford against Limerick in the league I don't think Waterford can be too uh, expectant given that their track record in the round robin qualifier round robin uh, Munster Championship is actually horrific so that was that when, when there must have been some ghosts sitting in the dressing room at half time against Tipperary going what? how's this happening again we're supposed to be the superior force here we, we know we're the better team we've got silverware gleaming in our trophy cabinet what's going on here so I, I think maybe spiritually it was more important than even performance that the, the quality of the performance in the second half while it was clearly better in the first half was less important than just getting the win in that game yeah, yeah, getting over the line is all that really mattered. And, and like Kyo had an excellent game, particularly for Tipperary. It was kind of a, a coming of age performance for him, really. And like when you consider how many players are missing for Tipperary, especially not to Callanan for the start, after losing so much experience with the two Mars retiring in off season as well. I like I know Tommy Walsh was saying to you last week that he was expecting a kick out of Tipperary when they went to Walsh Park. I really wasn't expecting Tipperary to be in what felt like a very strong position. Do you want to let him in? Up. Do you want to let him in? Is that, is that what needs to happen here? Is, is what, What's he upset about? I'm not sure. I think I think the neighbours have literally come home from work. I think they usually come home bang on nine o'clock. And I've got a feeling he's very upset about the fact that the neighbours are at the front door. So hopefully he'll stop in a second. Hank, stop. Now, there we go. I think I've kind of caught him to stop. Oh, you're, you're like, uh, what's his name? The dog whisperer. Yeah, I think stop is just about the word it works until the front the door opens again. I can hear the next door neighbours open the door and there we go. Uh, so it's a, it's a losing battle for me here at the moment. Uh, a bit like Tipperary in the second half once Ozzy hey. Gleeson came on for Waterford. But um, look, again, 
I kind of half repeat myself here, but the fact that Waterford got a win on the first day is all that matters. Because I think, as you said, they would be very aware the last two years of the round robin, Waterford had a horrific record in the round robin itself. Actually, the two knockout years probably helped Waterford in their runs to an All-Ireland final and an All-Ireland semi-final. It, it'll be interesting this weekend, even though I think both teams will qualify ultimately for the Munster final and will qualify out in Waterford and Limerick, just to see how close Waterford are, because we didn't get to see them play against Limerick uh, since that day of the bales of hay in the All-Ireland semi-final. So, intrigued to see how it goes this weekend, but there's a long road to go in Munster, and I really think that Clare will feel, because Clare coming in totally under the radar, like we were probably guilty of it on the hurling pod last week too, because Clare weren't playing, nobody's been bigging up Clare or talking about them in any way, or talking about the fact that they've got some players coming back in. Debbie Fitz has has been talking them up actually, saying that the quality of players they have would be enough, he's right in the mirror today should be enough to um, see them through at the weekend. So, you know, it certainly feels like expectation. Uh, we should be expecting something from this Clare team. Well, if they come through against Tipperary, they've got a really good chance to qualify because Clare will be licking their lips potentially about that game against Cork, which, you know, two wins will probably put a team into a decent position in Munster with the way things are looking currently because I'd be surprised if anyone beats Limerick. Now, maybe that's the cue for Waterford to beat Limerick at the weekend at the Gaelic Grounds and Waterford to be talked up then as potential All-Ireland champions. But I think Limerick will sweep their fixtures, lads. And if Limerick sweep their fixtures, it's a dogfight then as the dog continues to bark um, for the rest of the... uh, teams to try and qualify in Munster he seems to be barking at the hurting pod uh, that dog has more fight than the Cork defence says Powell 74 that's, that's <laughs> a very good observation Powell I'm probably correct after what we saw at the weekend uh, that is a genuine concern like, there's so much silk throughout that Cork team there's so much running hurling he is literally barking at the defense. TV look it's, uh, it's, it's he doesn't like what, what does he not like well, there's hammering going on upstairs now currently too, so okay. I'm not sure exactly why everyone has sprung into action just as we decide to talk about hurling here, but these are all uh, topics that we will try and get through between the barks and the hurling pod later on as well. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do for like the hour and a half of the hurling pod where he just has to be a, a present and like uh, getting the attention that he, he needs and requests. Uh, all right, are you worried about the dubs? Because like, we had such high hopes after the start of the league season, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hang on a second here. Well, look, ultimately they got the results at the weekend, even if it is just getting out by a couple of points against Leash when everyone was expecting them to win that fixture. We'll know a lot about Wexford. We'll know a lot about Wexford and Dublin once that game between Dublin and Wexford finishes this weekend. I still think they're a little bit short in scores, and I still think it comes back to haunt them a little bit that they don't have, say, a really star forward within their forward line when it comes to some of the really big fixtures. Like, will they have enough to overcome? a Kilkenny, a Waterford or a Limerick when the season goes on. They have still got a shout of qualifying, but I think to qualify in Leinster, they may well have to get a victory against Wexford this weekend because I don't expect them to beat Kilkenny. And I'm expecting that Galway, with the way that the fixtures fall, should be able to naturally take out Westmeath and take out Leash. And they'll really fancy coming out on top against Dublin as well. So you're thinking Kilkenny will qualify. Galway still probably for me are slight second favourites now ahead of Wexford after what we saw last weekend but Wexford put in a good performance against Dublin then they're set up nicely for going to um, they go to Kilkenny I think in the last round of games at at Nolan Park and they've got Leash and Westmead sandwiched in between that so Wexford might have enough points in the bag to have already qualified by the time they go to play against Kilkenny it's amazing how in Leinster by comparison to Munster the amount of home and away games you have could well prove to be quite important the way that the fixtures fall and Wexford would definitely think that they needed to have 
points in the bag from the home games against Galway and Dublin before beating the two teams you'd be expected to beat and then to get a result against Kilkenny. So, yeah, I, I think probably you're still looking at Kilkenny, Galway and Wexford to qualify from Leinster. Dublin with a little bit of work to do, but it can be blown wide open if they can beat Wexford at Wexford Park at the weekend. The uh, summer of Ed Sheeran is going to have the most impact on Irish sport of any performing artist ever, given the rugby fixture is now going to be in the Aviva as well. So uh, I think we're going to be talking about that for a while to come. Well, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Apologies about the uh, barking. It's amazing how he's now stopped to be as quiet as possible just so we finish. But, uh. Well, there you go. Uh, Bosang David says, how many other people's dogs barked when they heard Will's dog barking? It's turned into a barking echo chamber here. So the barking <laughs> is general all over Ireland at the moment. Hank, uh, you're an influencer. Congratulations. <laughs> Seven minutes past nine. He needs his own Instagram account. <laughs> uh, maybe Instagram's past eight. It needs to be TikTok, of course. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. How far away are you from getting a dog on? What's your... Um, a long, 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 long way away. You'd get a yeah. goldfish first. Is that the level of commitment that you'd have? Yes, yes. Goldfish sounds about right, to be honest. Goldfish and then maybe one day a cat and then maybe one day a dog. You're more of a cat man. That also was the other thing. Was. I, I I, think you can be both. People people like to be divisive. People like to be black or, or like things black or white these days. But you know what? We can, we can love both. We it's, can love cats and dogs. It's the level of care that you have to give to a cat, which is basically leave the food out occasionally, make sure that shit gets cleared out of the litter tray and away you go. Yeah, and then laugh at them like they're extremely funny creatures. Whereas with dogs, it, for for every laugh you give them, you have to also give them so much attention. Can't be arsed with that. Like walk them. There's only so much attention you have to give in your life, and you're just not ready to commit to a dog. Really, really, I'm not. Just I just want to be. I just want to be amused by a cat for a while, and then move on to something else. <laughs> Eight minutes past nine this morning. We're uh, going to take a quick break and hopefully fix all this, and then we're going to talk. Um, uh, Rugby with Alan Quinlan. OTB AM. This Tuesday morning on OTB AM, delighted to say Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. Morning, Gerald. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, Owen put the two-legged rugby in the green. I suspect if you're Ulster, you'd be like, mm, maybe we could just go back to the one legs and take the result from uh, winning away in France. And uh, like it was on the verge of being an iconic victory for Ulster and an opportunity to play Munster in the Aviva which they would absolutely have relished so you know you can just feel the rest of their season slipping through their fingers in those final few moments as world class talent does what world class talent does Yeah I think that's the key what you're saying is it's uh, DuPont into Mac again Um, they just punished Ulster didn't they Um, it was heartbreaking stuff you know they were a couple of minutes away from being in the quarter final and you know probably and I'm not sure if that game was going to be in the Aviva, was it? Maybe you're right. Um, oh, or was it going to be in the Kingspan? Kingspan. No, I think a quarterfinal was going to be in the Kingspan. Right. So um, they certainly would have fancied their chances with, um, at home to Munster if they got to the quarterfinal. And then you're in a semifinal and they'd have been in the Aviva because of, of the ranking in the pool stages. So they, they were so close to, to being, you know, going right to a final here. Um it was heartbreaking stuff and I think the the try the late try to Toulouse got the week before when I was watching that match I just kind of cringed a little bit when that happened and said you know that that could be the key that could be the difference and um, I just think the intercept um, try the break from Intimac as well 
uh, for Ramos's try and then Dupont at the end there's three tries there that I know I listened to Dan McFarlane speaking about it afterwards you know players getting caught on inside inside shoulders and and obviously the inter- intercept was great anticipation from him and that's there, what Toulouse is, do is, isn't it Is there anything McCluskey is supposed to do better on that point like uh, is he is he late to it is the pass bad is there, or is that just how if you're going <laughs> to if you're going to play an attacking aggressive style of rugby occasionally you play with fire and on the balance this is going to happen once every hundred times it just unfortunately happened against one of the best players in the world that's that's for the inter- intercept you're talking about yeah. Um, yeah I look I think it's a little bit of a wrap around the win in the line out and um, it's just good anticipation I think for him he takes a chance and we, sometimes we see players do that they leave a little gap in their defensive line um, I think it was way too flat. It was right, right on the game line. They overran it a little bit. Um, so it was, I don't think it was McCluskey's fault. I just okay. think um, they took it right to the line, and that's the risk you run. Um, it's it's brilliant for him, um, you know, and that's a significant score. They were on uh, under the the pump there at that stage, and and that's what they do. And and you know, when France play Jerry, we talk about Intermac Dupont all the time. Um, they're such confidence-based players. They're world-class with their their execution and, and their confidence and belief. And, and if you can't stop them, the chances are they're going to have a, a significant say in the outcome of the game, and they continuously do. So that's uh, obviously to, to lose power as well. And I thought Ulster did so many things so well over, over the two legs. Um, the, uh, look, I think the whole round 16 was, was brilliant. The excitement of, of all the games... Um, was fantastic and you know the EPCR had issues and there was obviously issues in the pool stages um, but I think the competition has been ignited by the round 16 matches now but that'll be no good to Dan McFarland and Ulster and I think um, agonisingly close I, I really thought they'd get through on, on Saturday night in the Kingspan but they just made too many mistakes and you know they're the, the kind of crucial things that that go against you in these tight games when you're playing against a, 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 a team that really, from the pool stages, were only barely got into the round 16. And now you're fancying their chances. They're, they're getting it right. And they'll be a very, very difficult team to stop um, from going all the way in this competition. Having scraped through a couple of rounds in a row now, Alan, have there been any two lose weaknesses that have been exposed? I think the the... the I think when you hold on to the ball against Toulouse, and that, that like it's not very, it's it's pretty obvious when you're playing against a strong side that's um, and a powerful side like Toulouse that they're gonna and and the vast a lot an awful lot of the French players they're gonna they they're gonna back their physicality on and they're gonna try and out muscle you and if you can stand up to that and get your set piece right and and hold on to the ball, which Ulster did brilliantly and. I said it before round one, and again, it's, I'm no rocket scientist to be saying this, but you have to attack, um, and Ulster did that. They attacked to lose, into lose. I know the sending off was significant, um, but if you're a side that's pretty dominant all the time, you would imagine that if you're used to having the ball and 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 a lot of possession, that if if you if the opposition can turn the tide in that and recycle the ball and hold on to it really well and attack you. But it's something you're not used to doing. So I think, um, obviously, you've got to match them physically, but you've got to hold on to the ball for long periods and then hope that 
um, they they get a, you find a soft shoulder somewhere and get through them. Um, but I think the the difference, and we always say it on about the fringe teams, is mentally um, that they can drop their heads a little bit. The, the Toulouse players are are different. You know, they're international players and they love this competition and they've a history in the competition. So they just look like they never really dropped their heads in the two legs. And, and that's been the key. So is there any weakness? Well, if you hold the ball for a long period of time, I think you can find find opportunities. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about Connacht Leinster. Is it, it, um, it seems like it was a, a lifetime ago. Uh, what what can Connacht do to make sure that this season isn't a write-off? Um, what, what is there that Irish rugby can learn from how Connacht performed over the two legs? Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's really, it's a tough one from, you know, and we spoke about it on Friday that, or on Thursday that they're just underpowered a little bit, aren't they? Um, there's some, and Andy Friend was talking about, um, the players not, the Leinster players being more professional doesn't believe that they're better players, but they're better professionals. I don't know about that. I think the Leinster players are better players. They're better players than any other provinces in Ireland, um, and that's that's blatantly obvious with their with their international representation. I just think Leinster got a, or Connacht have got to. Um, in an ideal world, you'd love to just bulk up your pack a little bit, particularly in the front five. I think they have a lot of good players. The way they play, um, what can they learn from it? Well. Leinster are capable of doing that to most teams and we saw what they did to Munster a couple of weeks ago down at Thoman Park so Connacht are not the only ones who've come come under the wrath of, of, of Leinster so um, I think the problem for, for Connacht this season has been just really inconsistent in in uh, in in the URC you know they've lost eight games that's too many games to, to be losing if you want to be getting into the playoffs um, there's one or two ahead of them could lose a game or two in the next two weeks and could be up at that number as well. And they could, there's, there, you know, Munster in danger of missing out on, on, you know, seventh or eighth spot the way things are going. Um, given the fixtures, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. They've got to try and win an Ulster. But for Connacht, um, I think if the season peters out and they don't make Europe and the, and the top eight in the URC, I think it'll obviously be very, very disappointing. What can they do? I know he's one or two more signings to come in, Andy Friend, um, but it's probably becoming more resilient, um, not making mistakes and not giving the ball away. I think they were very, very sloppy, particularly in the game last Friday. They turned the ball over way too much. I know it doesn't matter, but the missed kick early on seemed to just take whatever. It's so brittle, the confidence that everything needs to go right for you. And all week you're saying everything needs to go right. So everybody, and it's just like from that point forward, it, I, I'm not saying that it had an impact at all on the outcome, but uh, maybe they would have sustained their pressure for more because they started with they started with all the piss and vinegar you would expect. You know, it was blood and thunder, and then the the miss kick is like oh, and the head drops. It, it was it was it was significant, and I think um, they got really soppy then, and they their body language changed a little bit. And I think look, it's very, very difficult uh, against against Leinster at home. And once they got their confidence up and got their flow going, and um, the Gibson Park try, the length of the field try, it's 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 just like if you're in the in in that kind of team, you're thinking we've been battering away here, doing a lot of good stuff, and suddenly this is what they can do. That was game so over. It does it. 
yeah, it does affect your yeah. confidence. So um, you can't just create a jar and say, well, we're going to be mentally strong next year. I just think it's the way you train, the way you prepare. And maybe that's what Andy Friend was indicating, that they need to be better better professions in their, their diligence about everything they do in the game, on and off the field, their accuracy around the breakdown. Um, if he wants to play a really expansive, exciting game, which that's what Andy Friend wants to do, that they've got to be really diligent in doing that. Yeah. Um, I think they came up with too many mistakes and turned the ball over too much in the game on Friday and then Leinster punished him. Well, I hope he can turn it around because he's he seems like a really good person and it seems like the rugby ideals that he's trying to get across and his team are, are trying to to play are the right ones and you see you know, the quality of signing that they've made with Mac Hansen but also how quickly Hansen could step from his environment into the Ireland environment and, and not miss a beat and like... I don't know. Just maybe it needs more investment from. Yeah, the they've a lot of good, but they've a lot of good players who will get better and they learn from this experience. And that's that's um, that's you know they need a little bit of time um, to, to 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 grow and 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 probably learn how to win these games and be more consistent. As as I said in the league, you know, there's a couple of those league games that. Do you remember? I look back on, be really disappointed with. Do you remember there was a period of time when Andy Farrell worked with Munster? when they were in between coaches uh, Farrell was the assistant coach at that stage and he went I don't know how long a period that was in my in my head it's like eight or nine weeks or maybe a bit longer is that about right does that ring a bell um, I don't know how long it was but I remember yeah it was between um, Rassi Erasmus and Johan van Gran I think and um, uh, you think that maybe they would benefit from, from some of the Irish coaches well I'm thinking um, like being world class the stuff that doesn't take talent if you were to inject Paul O'Connell for a couple of months in there as like a, an add-on while just, I don't know I'm just trying to think of something that will help the team and I'm not saying that the current coaching ticket isn't doing the right stuff but if the head coach is saying that we actually need an injection of and it sounds culture more than talent is what he believes and you're saying talent obviously is is right. Well, there. it's probably a bit of both. You know what I mean. I'm not. I'm not saying it's completely. I think when you're in the Irish squad, that's the ultimate place to be. And when you have so many good leaders who've won things and they do things at at such such a professional way of of how they look after themselves, um, students of the game, how they watch the videos, the the quality of coaches, and the stuff you learn there, and I think it makes a difference to your to your to your pr- provincial side when you have, and they had a number of players there up with, up with Ireland training with them. So you know you always think, God, if you can bring back any sort of detail, or you know, the, the, particularly on the Joe Schmidt era, there was always stuff uh, being spoken about. I would hear always hear stuff of the quality of coaching, the quality of detail that Joe was giving the players the tiny little things that you don't maybe think about yeah. that he's kind of unraveling that you can bring back and you try and teach other players, younger players, this is how you do it. This is how you, um, you know, what you do around the field at certain areas, how you've got to get back up off the ground, get back in shape and attack, um, certain things like that. Um, and, and 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 probably that is, is something that, you know the the international players maybe need to drive a little bit more in Connacht. Yeah, I, I, is it ridiculous to think that maybe O'Connell could get involved at some level? I, I'm sure there's already. Well, I'd like I'd like I'd like to see him go back to Munster. I think the way they and and go to all the provinces because I think if um no certainly look at the Irish breakdown. I think you know he would have been um 
a big believer in Joe Schmidt stuff and probably would have learned a lot there from him. And you learn from different coaches, their approach, approach to the game and their views and, and the way they see the game going. So I think, look, having someone like Paul, yeah, obviously spend some time with him would, would certainly help, help young players and show them that this is the standard, this is the detail that's needed. Okay. Is there a possibility that he might be on the Munster coaching ticket? No, no, I'm saying I'd right. like to see him go back. <laughs> I thought you were breaking news right uh, there. No, no, no. I'd like to see him go back and do some breakdown work there as well. And, uh, and you know, I think that's been one of the keys to Ireland's um, improvements is, is def- definitely the speed of ball and mm. and the, the the way they protect the ball. Obviously, the French game, there was a few issues around the breakdown. But, um, you know, what, what I hear and you just look at Josh van der Fleer and he openly spoken about um, the way Paul has helped his game improve. And every yeah. time I see him carry a ball now, I think of O'Connell. Uh, it's not solely down to that because obviously Josh van der Fleer is very, very powerful and quick, but he started to back himself in the last the last year with carries and he's so strong and effective now and just keeps his legs alive. So, you know, and obviously if Paul is coaching the national side or on the breakdown or even Simon Eastby defensively or John Fogarty, Mike Cat, Andy Farrell, any of the coaches that, you know, if they can go back in, but I suppose the timing of all that stuff is 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 um, probably pre-season is the best time for, yeah. for those things to happen if they were to happen. Yeah. Okay. Look, let's talk about the big story of the weekend. We have this uh, series of pictures from Brendan Moran uh, at Sportsfile that I just want to put up. I, I when Munster scored the try where Dialende goes in, in the corner, I was like, how did that actually happen? And you can't really tell from the TV pictures, but it's an absolutely beautiful no look back of the hand pass from Simon Zebo just as the touchline is about to swallow him up and you think the opportunity is gone and they've blown this somehow but it's one of the best tries in Europe that we've seen for Munster in a long time absolutely delicious stuff finished off with that beautiful flourish as well where it's slightly unnecessary dive but yeah absolutely this is going to look good smacking the ball down thank you very much uh, you must have been pretty happy with that yeah, I just think that that's 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 what Simon Zebra can do, isn't it? Um, it's that little bit of brilliance or magic that can unlock a defence. Like a lot of players would have been tackled out into touch there and the ball, it would have been a line out to Exeter. Um, he has, and we're talking about kind of the anticipation or taking a chance where there's risk reward there in sport, in all in all sport. Um, no matter what happens, Zebra is always going to take a chance. And he has the skill set to be able to do something like that. I like we couldn't see, you know, you couldn't see it properly on TV because um, it. Everyone just expected him to be tackled into touch, and suddenly Dialanda has the ball in his hands, and it's a try. And um, it just felt that um, they created that. They probably deserved that just the way they played in that game, and and there was a different feel to the whole game, and and it was absolutely sublime from Zebo, I think, and and that's what he can do, and that's his capabilities, and um, it was it was it was brilliant to see, and the crowd loved it, everybody loved it, and it was a great finish to the game, and gave him that little bit of comfort in the end that that probably they 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 created with with the intensity that they brought on Saturday. Is Jack O'Donnell who's best position eight, perhaps all this time? With- um, yeah, possibly. Um, I think he was probably that's where he was. He was uh, he traditionally started out as an eight, but um, you've got to be play, able to play right across the back row now. But I think the and that's probably one key area the, the balance of that back row was brilliant on, on Saturday. Um, I think uh, John Hodnett, you know, over the 
the two games was has been outstanding as well. And to see Peter Romani, it's not just um, you know, traditionally you think of the line-out steals and the, the couple of turnovers, the breakdown, those kind of big moments that that you highlight. But I just think he's his aggression and his tackle, a um, couple of tackles he put in, turnovers, just small things that that make a huge difference and stop the opposition getting over the game line. So it, it was great to see. And if you're if you're back row, and I always say this, I keep saying it, um, if you have a dominant back row in a match, there's a chance you're going to be winning that match because they're influencing you know, what, what happens when you don't have the ball and when you have the ball. So probably need to get more carries out of the back row. I think Jack O'Donoghue, I just thought some of the lines he ran, this, uh, the body position, a little bit of footwork and contact was 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 excellent. So um, there were a couple of little, wasn't a, there were a couple of knock-ons that I'd say if he had back, and if if they hadn't been knocked on, they were going to go for huge gains. Where that line that you're talking about, the aggression, and so like it feels like he's he's still improving. And if they can keep this team together now, they're going to cause trouble for Toulouse. I know the controversy over the Ed Sheeran concert is is raging. I kind of feel like that's just bad luck, you know, like they, they desperately it, it, it is, Chair, and the reality is, you know, that, that concert, and I know lots of people were on to me about this, and what, why the hell are Munster prioritising the Ed Sheeran concert over a quarter final? They're not. This this was probably booked 14, 15 months ago. Yeah. Um, it was it was muted during COVID. They lost so much money, um, lots of pay cuts. And I'm not talking about the players, I'm talking about staff. There was people let go from Munster Rugby. They had no gates for probably a year, two years. Um, they have financial problems and issues. And plus, the quarterfinals are never on in May, are they? Can you, I can, they're never on in May. They're always on in April. So, of course, the, the season has changed this year. It's a bit longer with the summer tours in July. Um, but the, the Ed Sheeran thing was... It wasn't just decided six months ago. It's been a year and a half in the making. And, you know, they were five minutes away from being in Belfast anyway. So I think they just couldn't take the risk of not not allowing it to happen. And um, no, it's a shame. It's a shame because it's, obviously it's, Tom and Park is, would be significant to have it there. But yeah, yeah. I think when people realise the money and the financial part of it, well, you know, there's, there's nothing they can do now. Liam Tolan was on... Uh, he was on off the ball on News Talk during the game live, and he was saying after the match that he knew people who turned down the opportunity to get free tickets to the game at the weekend. It wasn't a sellout, so it's like you know the the anger has to be mitigated by the fact that it wasn't sold out for a home leg where it was really important that they did create that cauldron of, a, of an atmosphere. And now they're going to be playing one of the best teams in the world, and it's a real opportunity for them. It's not like the Aviva is an is an unfriendly ground. They've played. They've all played there loads of games. It's the home of Irish rugby at the moment and it's a good opportunity for them to go and say, yeah, we are now one of... We're, we're back to being a team who expects to be in semi-finals and finals of the European Cup. And the performance that they put in would give them a lot of confidence going into a game against Toulouse, surely. Yeah, you've got to be so much more robust though, when you play Toulouse. I think if you go back to the quarter-final last year, um, did so many good things in attack and were were brilliant in offloading the ball and being um, and just attacking Toulouse throughout the game, and then you just every kind of ten minutes they just give up a try from poor defence, someone breaking a line, some brilliance from Toulouse which you're going to expect, um, but I, I I think going to the Aviva as you say it's very 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 valid what you say about the. You know, lots of the players are used to it. Toulouse still have to come to Dublin. I think it does take away a little bit of um, the intimidation, probably, and the the crowd noise at home. But 
hopefully lots of Munster, Munster supporters will go to the match and go to the Aviva and that they get 30, 40,000 there. And, uh, and, you know, it's still, no matter where you play to lose at this stage, it's going to be a tough game. Um, playing them away for out of France is obviously better. Playing them in Thomond Park is better again, but the Aviva is not, it wouldn't be a major issue for me. And I think, you know, they're going to get, they're going to make some money out of the gate receipts there. And, um, it's not all about making money, but the reality is, you know, you have Munster fans calling for more signings and more investments and, you know, the money is not there. So these are financial decisions that were made 18 months ago when, when, when things were pretty bleak for all sporting organizations. So it is what it is. It's on the Aviva and it's not, you know, I think it'll be pretty exciting for, for some of the players who haven't played there with Munster or with Ireland, um, and enough of them have, so it's not it's not completely alien to. Them. Has it saved Munster season? Um, it just depends what happens. Um, it's still going to be very difficult to beat Toulouse, but I think what happened last Saturday just you just had the feel that yes, this this is this is, we need more of this. Even if we don't win the games, we need more of this kind of organisation. Um, resilience not just the passion and heart that you saw over in Exeter and that's probably what won them the game let's be honest uh, one of the two legs was the defence over in Exeter and the, the never say die attitude that that they're, they're non-negotiables Ger, for me with Monster. it just has to happen all the time that that passion that desire that that brute force is there that effort level and then it's it's about upskilling the players more and that's the whole idea of the change now and what we want to see. We want to see the players upskill, be able to play a little bit better, become more confident in themselves. Um, and that's that hopefully what what can happen. And I think it, it it ignited the and what Liam was saying about the fans, you know, there was a feeling last week that that's that's what we need and that's what we want. Even if we're not winning competitions, we just need to see that kind of fight and that a monster team having a goal. It wasn't perfect. There was probably issues again at the weekend around some of the attack, but it's just much more energetic and enthusiastic to see him playing like that. And uh, But the problem you have now with Toulouse is if Toulouse come on and, and kind of do what Leinster did in Thoman Park a few weeks ago and expose them like that, well, then it kind of has a real kind of ne- negative effect towards the end of the season. And for for Munster, in, as I said, in the URC, they go to Belfast on Friday night Um it's a must-win game. They've three games left, and you know they're sitting fifth in the table now on on forty-seven points. And the Sharks, Edinburgh, the Bulls—they're all right behind them. Um, and the way results could go this weekend, they could end up in seventh or eighth position after after this weekend. We've gone a bit over time, but I, I do want to talk about it's Craig Casey's twenty-third birthday today. I was just googling it there, and it turns out it's happy birthday, Craig Casey. Uh, when he comes off the bench, there's like this kind of. Um, Tony Ward-esque jinkiness which you're like wow that's like and you see the impact that DuPont had uh, whoever comes in next as well as the attack coach and obviously Graham Rowntree they have this incredible talent there and also it looks like fingers fingers crossed touch wood a period of fitness behind Joey Carby that we're beginning to see effortless kicking style off the tee in uh, howling winds and also just calmness of the distribution it looks like you know, I would feel very, very positive if I'm a Munster fan off the back of what I've seen and the fact that the new regime will be slightly different, but we'll have some continuity. 
yeah, you, I wouldn't get carried away uh, in a sense that, um, you know, all is not perfect, but I think there's definitely, you know, you, you can use a game like this um, to change things and, and get a surge of energy, surge of confidence. And, and Carberry was very composed. I thought he was, um, and we've seen glimpses of that this year, that, that talent. I love the fact that he, you know, saw the gap accelerated given he went through a, you know, a, a, a pro, um, step to prop Harry Williams and and, a, and one of the back rowers as well. But the acceleration, the confidence to do that, like Intimac does, there's no reason why Joey Carberry was an Int- Intimac a few years ago. And, and that's the kind of footwork and acceleration and pace that he has. Um, so that was really important. There's a lot of young players that you can you can start to change the way they play around and, and the attack is going to be vital um, not just in the back line just right across the board and, and upskilling the players around their decision making their anticipation when someone makes a line break and there is the best teams do it watch the Intimac step and line break you know yeah. it's, it's, it's simple stuff Jared that he breaks through a line what do you have you have Intimac on his shoulder and Ramos yeah, those two players. If they're not, if they're not anticipating his line break and his brilliance, there's no try at the end of the field. No, he and gets swallowed up, and it's like he gets isolated. Yeah, and, and the commentary goes, and that's yeah. it. You yeah. know, so it's it's that that anticipation from support players. So, um, but look, there was a lot of positive signs at the weekend, and right. it just has a different feel about it. No, totally, Alan. Good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, thanks lads. We'll preview all the weekend's games with Alan later on in the week as well. A reminder, OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Munster are back, Owen. It's all coming up you. Yeah, yeah, and they will be back if it's a, an actual win in the Aviva Stadium. That's that's kind of the, the final piece in this, although it does feel that they're one hammering away always from a from a crisis. Yeah, but it's only six points spread for that game. Uh, everybody's a little bit uncertain about what's going to happen, you know, who's going to be back be back at against Munster surely they're going to be able to fill the Aviva price it properly make it cheap to go get get all the Lunsters back get them on board you know all of a sudden you're like looking at a it's Fortress Aviva with the, a good atmosphere at the Aviva wouldn't that be amazing DuPont and, and Entomac for a reasonable price would be attractive enough for any Irish rugby fan as well as obviously cheering on Munster that, I think that's key, I think that's a key point the, the pricing of it and making it affordable because yeah. I think yeah, that's obviously dissuading a lot of people from going to live sport at the moment. OTBAM, here's what's on sports radio rather for the rest of the day. OTB Gold is Catherine Switzer, the 1967 Boston Marathon. Dadcast at three. Career retrospective, Jason McAteer at four. And OTB Gold is Joe meeting Ruby Walsh at six. And then the show is live tonight from seven. We're going to hear from David Myler and Andy Mitten on tonight's Liverpool Manchester United clash tomorrow. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 